Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What is up, Gypsy gang? We are back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast. And uh, apologies, we're a little bit late on this one. It's been a pretty hectic couple of weeks. But um, yeah, this is, I guess you could say, about as much a bucket list podcast as it gets. Uh, today on the podcast is the King Jeremy McGrath, seven time Supercross champion, 72 race wins, and just, I guess, the guy that everyone remembers as the coolest dude in the world. And it's just crazy. All those years on, McGrath is still as cool now as he was then. And this was a really, really enjoyable episode of the podcast. And honestly, one of the ones that you kind of, I don't know, like I've just, I've actually enjoyed watching back some of this stuff. Um, just really cool to have the King in studio um, and just frothing to um, to just talk about, I guess, like the golden era of Supercross. So if you were subscribed to the membership website, gypsytales.com, uh, then you would have actually heard this, I guess a couple of weeks ago was when we actually recorded it. Um, with the editing process and what we have to do for the video side of the podcast, we end up sitting on episodes for a while. Um, as well as that, we've also got a ton of of unique content as well that goes up on that membership site so for just $11 a month you can support the podcast and you can get all of the episodes of the podcast pre-release before they are all released free to the public but before we get into this podcast I need to thank the team at AG1 now when I started drinking AG1 daily I really saw and felt a difference in not only my daily health but in my energy levels and my ability to focus. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. I wake up every day and instead of taking a multivitamin, I mix a scoop of AG1 powder with water and drink that instead. I love that every scoop includes things such as B vitamins for energy, probiotics for gut support, and vitamin C and zinc for immune support. This morning ritual has made such an improvement on my overall health. I, along with the Gypsy Gang, recommend AG1 to friends and family because I have seen the real results firsthand. Along with that, this nutritional supplement has a team of doctors and scientists behind it. AG1 is formulated and based on current science and maintains high quality standards. If you haven't tried AG1 yet, it is definitely something you should check out. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D, 3, K2, and 5 free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash gypsytales. That's drinkag1.com slash gypsytales. Check it out. We are also brought to you by the team at Manscaped and it's official spring has sprung and our friends at Manscaped have just launched the ultimate product for some spring cleaning on your face. 
Introducing the Handyman Electric Face Shaver designed to give your face that smooth finish without the hassle of a wet shave. Watch your confidence bloom like the spring flowers this season with this exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use the code GYPSYGANG to get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Clear out that winter scruff and spring into a new you with Manscaped. Now, unfortunately for you, your face is the first thing people see when you walk through the door. You can give them something to look at with Manscaped's Handyman, obviously. With the Handyman Skin Safe technology to help reduce nicks and cuts, you can finally feel confident when going for that close shave. For wet or dry use, bring it anywhere and everywhere. The compact design and aeroplane friendliness makes this the perfect travel tool for on the go. And for all my fellas with a little more scruff, this is me, this is where uh, this really, this product's come into their own for me, is Manscaped's Beard Hedger Pro Kit. And it has everything that you need and I personally need to tame my mane. Featuring their signature Beard Hedger, this thing is the MVP of fixing faces. This cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. That's right, face grooming doesn't need to be hard. You can get 20 different beard lengths in just one guard. The beard hedger is high-tech and it is a piece of art in its travel size package with a long lasting battery, universal charging and a strong motor. And I can attest to all of this because I've had this product for months now and I actually haven't had to charge it yet. Now, you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code gypsygang at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code gypsygang at manscaped.com. Hit the refresh button this spring with Manscaped. I also need to say a big thanks to my boy Sammy at Fist for not only making the best gloves in the world, but for also just the crazy ride uh, that we've both been on. I think the MC podcast is a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool like time to acknowledge that Sammy, the owner, CEO, the uh, the man behind Fist, he's one of my best friends, and we've known each other for a very very long time. And I've been wearing Fist gloves for eleven years now, twelve years now. And I just want to say I'm so proud of Sammy for doing what he's done. And, you know, like you kind of, I think this episode has been one where I've really sat back and been like, wow, this is super cool that I get to do what I do. And then I was looking at the ads that we had to read and I see Fist come up and I think, you know what, it's actually pretty insane that um, doing ads for the MC podcast my best friend's company is on there and he actually makes the best gloves in the world. And I know that because I've done more riding this year than I ever have in my life. So if you want to be like me and wear the best gloves in the world, head to fisthandwear.com and use the code Gypsy Gang for 15% off. I don't think I can say any more than that. Thank you, Sammy. Thank you, Fist. You guys have been awesome in the lead up to World Vets. Uh, this episode is also brought to you by the team at MX Store. If you're in Australia, you should head to mxstore.com.au. They have the largest range of dirt bikes, parts, and accessories in stock, ready to rip. And if you order before 2 p.m. on a weekday, you are going to get the same day shipping. We are also brought to you by the team at Tropical Auto Group. And if you are in the market for a new or used vehicle, then you cannot buy anything without picking up the phone and calling Kyle. 
Kyle has been the man that has been keeping me and this podcast moving for the last three years, not just me, countless other members of the Gypsy Gang. Tropical Auto Group in Rockhampton stock Ford, Mitzi, Kia, Isuzu, and Great Wall. And if you are in the market, like I said, then you need to head to tropicalauto.com and ask for Kyle to get a $500 gift voucher at MX Store with the purchase of a new or used car. That's it from me and the ads. Like I said, this has been uh, a really rad podcast to get done for me. MC is the man. I really got to enjoy hanging out with him at Mammoth. And since this podcast, we've been riding at Glen Helen a couple of times. The dude's just the man. So that's enough from me. Enjoy, guys. Pull this up a little bit closer. Yeah. There you yeah. go. Gotcha. So joining me today on Gypsy Tales is Showtime, the king. Jamie McGrath. We've been wanting to do this one for a while, and I'm stoked, man. Yeah, man, me too. It's been a long time coming. I, uh, well, I mean, I keep seeing all my friends on here. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. about time, you know? When was the one that got you? Yeah, like, mostly, you reckon? Uh, I'm trying to think. It was a while ago. Because, I mean, honestly, in the, in the beginning, of when, when I started first started seeing you and seeing this, I was like, where did he come from? Yeah. Because I think you probably got the same thing from a lot of guys. Like, well, where did Jace come from? Yeah. You know? Where's, yeah. What's Gypsy Tales? Where yeah. And so I was like, how's he getting all these guests? Because I was, I would, and I, I don't know, maybe it's my own, it's my own thinking, but I'm like, I'm sure that I would have met him. Well, we, we would have met, we would have met like in passing a few times. And I, I've actually stayed at your ranch before. You remember when, when I was there, right? No, you weren't there. Oh, like for a DC shoot or something? It was or? for uh, something with Jeffrey Hurlings. Hurlings. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was DC because yes. it was Nate. Yep. Nate Holly yep. was yep. there and yep. Hurlings. And, and I think you kind of left as I got there. Right. So, but I think we kind of met then. Then there was another day. It was a DC shoot as well. Um, you were in the hills with Berriman, and like you guys parked in a different spot. So like I filmed all day and I filmed all this shit of you. Yeah. But yeah, we yeah. never like act. So we kind of we had just... a few like sliding doors. Yeah. Yeah. Kinda, that's kinda crazy. Moments. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I always was like, how, how do we not know each other? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So then it's, yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah. No, it's cool. Cause I, I feel like you're, <laughs> you've, I feel like you've just nailed like your place in the sport post racing, you know? And it's like, obviously you're the king of supercross like you've won the most you've like you built the sport in a sense but you've just been able to stay relevant stay in it you're still racing you're still around you're involved in cut like so you're still so in it but you're not like too in it if yeah, that makes you know yeah, like yeah. that i think that's like kind of a hard line for a guy like you to walk like you're the best ever supercross racer right. so it's like it, it would be a weird balance to find i mean it, it i think in the beginning it was kind of weird right because i you know everyone's easily forgettable right no matter how much you've won to be honest um and i think it just boils back to the fact that i love my dirt bike and i love yeah, riding yeah, dirt bikes yeah yeah i mean that's really what it's about i yeah. mean of course I try to do things that are in the, in the eyesight of people and what I'm doing and representing companies and doing that stuff. But I've also found a really nice balance where, 
a lot of it depends on how much I really want to work. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, okay, this is the balance. And I like to work. work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Quote, quote unquote work. Right. So, um, it's, it is, you know, I'm a fan of the sport. I love it. It's given me stuff, you know, opportunities and creative things that I've never would imagine. And especially to be able to work when I want to work. And, you know, I, I just try to keep things fun. You know, yeah. I've people ask me like, Hey, why don't you do TV? And I'm like, well, I did a couple of shows at TV. That's, that's good. I want to just do a couple. That's not that fun. Yeah. I mean, if I'm going to travel the country, I, I, that's a job. Yeah. I yeah. want to be paid for that. Yeah. And in this instance, it's more like, Hey, come on as a couple of guest appearances and, and, um, I'm happy to do that. I love it. And the same thing with some of the instructing or coaching or whatever yeah. with some of the writers, you know, another one, I, I'm not looking for another job. I'm yeah, not yeah. what I would call a job, yeah, you know, yeah. I've been at the track every day of my life for however many years. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm just in love with the sport. I love the community and I love to do it sort of my way. And if you, if anyone yeah. knows my career, they kind of know that I just sort of did took my own, own line way, yeah. and did my own stuff. And yeah. sometimes it works and sometimes it didn't. A lot of times it did. And thankfully, but, uh, yeah, I just, I still have a lot of fun with it. Keep my face out there, do some fun stuff. Try to try to just manage that part of it. Yeah, well, I think that was the vibe that I took from Mammoth. So obviously, a couple of weeks ago, we were yeah. hanging out together in Mammoth, and it was so cool for me to like because I obviously grew up in Australia, so like I never really got to watch you ride. I think it, I mean, it probably was the first time I ever saw you race in person. Last in two weeks, in like Mammoth. a month ago, yeah, Mammoth? yeah, yeah, yeah. No way. Because like I just, wow. I, I didn't come yeah. here. You were retired by the time I got here. Right, right, right. But dude, it was just so fucking cool to see like fun like watching you ride yeah. watching you race it, it was just fun like we were all on the side cheering you on you yeah. knew we were I remember because like, the battle yeah, got tight yeah. there at the end <laughs> yeah I, I dropped down and raced the 40 class and, and I, one dude was keeping me honest there so I was like oh man and I could hear you guys all right there at the at the side it was pretty sweet I mean to you know you know those those opportunities are few and far between these days right i'm not yeah. sound like i'm racing in front of thousands of people anymore <laughs> yeah and you, you know those those are fun and i could hear all you guys and and uh yeah it made it a lot of fun that was that was tiring it, it, it was just like a I, I don't know for me like you know they say sometimes never meet your heroes yeah and it was like i got to watch one of my heroes ride in like a kind of ex obscure race right, you know right. compared to like what you've done sure. but it was just fucking so moto like you got the whole shot and you were having to play some games and we were yeah, cheering yeah, on. Yeah. we could tell you were getting tired old yeah. mate was trying to pass you like that dude wanted to pass jeremy mcgrath we wanted you to win <laughs> and it was like it was just such a cool fun thing i think that was a cool moment for me to be like man that's why this dude won all these races because he loves riding so much and it just it came out so it was kind of cool that it was like the one time i got to watch you race and it was a kind of a, a, a obviously it wasn't winning a supercross or whatever but right. it was still so sick it's funny because like me going into that race it wasn't like oh hey i'm gonna rely on some of my old strategies or whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah you know it it, it happened i was getting tired um, that dude was kind of getting closer to me and I was like, man, okay, there's, I had about a four second lead, but then he was kind of eating up the gap a little bit and I was like, huh? And I was getting a little bit tired. I'm like, okay, <laughs> man, do I try to blow everything I have right now or do I let him 
rest on, I, I rest one lap, let them eat the gap up, get close, and then just give it everything I got on the last lap. So it was fun for me because some of the strategies came back from actual real racing yeah. and uh, was able to pull it off. And so it was, uh, you know, it's always nice. I'm older now, you know, to get yeah. some re-encouragement. Okay, cool. Yeah, you still have a little bit of something in there. It was yeah. kind of fun, you know, so. Nah, and yeah. I like even, you know, coming down the downhill and you got that right hand up and that was just such like, that's super me like getting to watch that one turn was like that was a supercross turn yeah right there uh, you, you know it was just thing. like that same style and it was just a, a cool moment and cool to see that for all these years and everything that you've done dirt bikes is still just so much fun yeah i just i mean that's cool i was so stoked to see you guys there meet you of course and then and uh hear the cheers you know for that last little there was a couple little bit of drama there it was <laughs> yeah. pretty fun um, but you know, first and foremost, it's just the joy of riding a dirt bike for me is still there, yeah. you know, and that's, that's exactly why I started. I think we all start riding dirt bikes cause we love it so much. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately sometimes it turns into a crazy job and, and you know, a lot of times pros, they end up maybe racing a little bit too long where they become, mm. they become, they get a little chip on their shoulder for the sport itself Yeah. because it, you know, look, it's tiring sometimes. There's a lot of people well, pulling take, on you, a lot of responsibilities. Lot you, yeah. yeah, and you yeah. got to train and you got to, of course, you know, the, the years after I retired, it became even more serious and more corporate, more like, hey, a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. The 90s, we always say we're, we had a blast. You know, we, 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 ha we were able to have fun. We were able to be serious enough to, you know, make a career out of it and uh, not be so stressed out that, you know, it made me hate the sport. I yeah. think I always wanted to, and it, you know, I always wanted to retire before I didn't like my dirt bike. Yeah. Um, now the ending of my career wasn't exactly how I had the script written, right? It was just a little funky, a little weird how that, <laughs> yeah. how that all worked out. And it's not like, you know, if I would talk to myself in 96, like, okay, what's the end of this thing going to look like? Right. Yeah, I just keep well, on winning end of, forever. Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, the end, the ending looks like, hey, I'm going to be a Honda ambassador for the rest of my life. Yeah. And and I'll just decide when I'm done winning. And right, then I'll exactly. Retire, and, and then someone else can win. Exactly. And then, you know, look, two, a year later, yeah. I'm on Yamaha. And yeah. then I'm like, what? Which is was strange. And then you think, okay, all right, three years, three Supercross championships. Yamaha hadn't won a Supercross championship since, since 1981 with Mike Bell three championships i'm gonna be a yamaha ambassador forever. i'm gonna be a yamaha ambassador and then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then it's like oh they're gonna they want to sign villain instead yeah. i'm like what <laughs> what's going on <laughs> yeah. so you know like the the uh, fairy tale script ending is never sort of the way you want it to be and the never the way you imagine it in your head has it given has moto given anyone a fairy tale ending i don't think it yeah i mean that kind of not really i mean ricky did it pretty good ricky did it pretty good but who would have ever thought ricky would be riding for suzuki i was gonna say but he had the same thing because <laughs> right. he went for honda and but, but ricky at the end i mean he was winning and then he just said okay that's it yeah so right? he did the winning part of it right he right. was that's pretty unbelievable i mean yeah. you got to commend him for that i mean he was he came back the next year and went won all the races he came back and raced he didn't and, even, he didn't even race and if he that was the year that james did his knee 
So if Ricky literally could have come off the couch and when James did his knee and still won the, ch- yeah, got another million dollar Unheard championship, of. but yeah, yeah. So, but as far as you're right, Honda did literally the same thing to him as they did to you, and they didn't even learn from what they did to you either, which is crazy, right? But I think they probably did it somewhere before me too, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. who knows exactly what happened? I mean, it it we can look back now and go like, look, it'd be easy to do it this way, right? Yeah. But uh, I think that's just life, right? We all can look back and go like, hey, we would have turned left here instead of right here. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm happy with the way it all ended. It all worked out fine. Um, strange. I think, you know, when I signed with KTM, it was a little bit of out of a little bit of spite for Yamaha and Keith mm. and those guys for trying to chop my salary down. And when I had just done, done a really good job for those guys for the past couple of years. So that was a little strange, you know, but all those guys are my friends, you know, I, I respect all these guys, you know, they've all, they all gave me a great opportunity to race dirt bikes and, you know, who would have ever thought that that was going to be my job? You know, I mean, I, I was set to try to go to college. No one in my family went to college. I was like, okay, am I college bound here after high school or am I going to go dig ditches, you know, be a construction guy? Cause I'm, you know, that's what I like. I like being outside and I like, well, you could have been pro BMX too, really. Yeah, like if I mean, you wanted to do that. Maybe, yeah, maybe. I was, I was, I was okay at BMX. I mean, I won some, some decent, pretty big races, but I was already, you know, that was like nine to fourteen. So it's a little hard to tell. At yeah, fourteen, fair. I was a freshman in high school. That's when I got my first new, new dirt bike, and it was like, wow, okay, cool. I don't have to pedal. I can yeah, throttle yeah. this thing. <laughs> yeah. And so again, uh, you know, steep, steep learning curve going 14 to like pro at 16 and a half, you know, that was, that was, that was steep. Um, I was lucky. My parents really, you know, my family really gave me a good opportunity to go race dirt bikes and give it a try. And, and, uh, that was, that, those were in the days that you could afford that stuff. You know, my mm. dad's, my dad and mom, my dad's a mechanic by trade. So he's not rich by any means. Yeah. Motocross used to be like the blue collar motorsport. Yeah. And I think, I think in some ways it kind of still is, but like you could become a top level, a top level amateur based off your dad being a mechanic. Like there's not that many kids now that if your dad was just worked as a mechanic that you'd be able to like do Loretta's and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I mean, people find ways to do it. That's true. It's pretty cool. You know, they, it's, it's amazing what you would do for your kids, Mm. your family, et cetera. Um, you just find ways to make it happen. And, and that's what my dad did. You know, he worked extra hard to get us to go to Loretta's and we'd take those two weeks a year and do Ponca and Loretta's and we'd hit up Mammoth and there was, a, you know, those four or five races a year. We never made it as far east as Florida to race. Um, but back then they had a big race in Vegas called World Mini. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, so there was World Mini, Vegas. And then during the winter we had some of the Golden State Series and some of that stuff that was sort of, all around Glen Helen and Atalanta and all these things. Um, but, but we went, we were able, I was lucky enough to go to Ponca and Loretta's, which were kind of the Ponca Ponca was a lot bigger at that time. So they were pretty equal at the time. So, um, yeah, I mean, my parents just pushed hard to give me that opportunity and it really, you know, again, who knew, who knew it was really going to work out? I mean, I, I, I'll say this and I always say this, you know, two or three years into my pro career, I still had no idea how to ride a motocross track. Yeah, I could race supercross, but in motocross, I mean, I was not good. I mean, yeah, I could get a top five, but I had the best bikes out there and all that stuff. 
So I, in my mind, I'm like, it didn't, it didn't really click until like, you know, 90 end of 93 and 94, I was already on two fifties at the time. So, yeah, yeah. you know, four years into my pro career, I'm still trying to figure out how to ride a motocross track. I just wasn't good at it. That's insane to think like, cause I remember, I remember reading your book when I was younger, like wide open. It was a wide open. Yeah. Wide yeah, open, yeah. yeah. And yeah, I remember the, you, oh, the chapters were pretty cool when it came to outdoors because it seemed like that was so hard for you to figure out, but it always seemed like you kind of carried injuries through outdoors because you kind of you put so much into supercross i feel like you just band-aided a lot of stuff through supercross to win that and then motocross you always kind of had to deal with some shit yeah i was i was you know i was pretty fortunate on the injury side right i mean i, I stayed on my bike a lot more than my a lot of my friends did that i raced against yeah you know because back then we were all friends we did hang out and no matter what manufacturer we were riding for we were riding together going to the same tracks hanging out at night together doing you know weekends that we were off we were all doing stuff together it was pretty cool golfing biking training playing drinking whatever we were doing we were <laughs> yeah. all hanging out um so yeah i mean supercross always just because of the bmx background i think just was very natural yeah um motocross first of all i think i was a pretty lazy kid right yeah. <laughs> took me a while to figure out that if i got my ass in gear and you know, paired that with the talent I had on a dirt bike that it would make double trouble for the rest of the pack. Right. But it took me three years to figure that out. Uh, with the help of Gary Semix, who was my uh, old yeah, former pro, yeah, he was my yeah, yeah, sort of my yeah. mentor and trainer. Kind of like back one in of the, the OG coaches. He's an eh? OG guy. Yeah. 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 And Gary used to, you know, we used to work together. I'd go to his place in Ohio and then he'd come out and stay here for about two months a year. And, and he was really the one that just said, look, you know, you have to retrain the way you're thinking about this. Mm. And I was, like I said, by nature, I was a little bit lazy because I had a little bit too much talent. Yeah. So I was just came real easy. I'm like, why do I need motocross when I can just kick the Do shit out of these cross. guys and yeah. super cross yeah. that's easy this is where the money is yeah but then you know after a few years all the talk of like oh he's not he's not gonna be regarded as one of the greatest guys in the sport ever even though i was winning every supercross race if you can't win motocross they're like well you're kind of not all around yeah you know yeah. a badass and i was yeah. like well f that dude i'm gonna figure out how to make that happen and uh that's kind of at the end of the 93 season is when I go, all right, I need to get my button gear. And instead of looking for the smoothest line on a motocross track, I'm going to go for the fastest line on a motocross track. So and that's what you used to literally, you would just ride around yeah, just avoiding I'll, all the bumps avoid and you bumps didn't care if it cost. was slow. Yeah. I didn't care if it was slow. I mean, I was just trying to you look good again. I was yeah. trying to be so different that it just didn't work. Yeah, you know, okay. right. I mean that, that, that kind of, thinking can hurt you sometimes too. And in supercross, it worked well, right? Cause I was taking different lines, yeah. different rhythms, all the stuff to, you know, that would work in supercross, but in motocross, that doesn't work. Yeah, it was just you got to have the shortest yeah. line, fastest line, the roughest line. Yeah. And so the only way to figure that out was get your bike working and get your ass off the couch and start training a lot. And, uh, you know, honestly, takes a long time to get over the hump and get to a point yeah. where you're feeling really good on that yeah. stuff just like it does with all things you got to do it and do it a lot and that's crazy too because there's a point where it just feels Clicks. like it catches up to yeah. you yeah yeah and, and you're like oh you suck one day and then it's like all the six months before just yeah. finally works they all sort of start working yeah. yeah and that's what happened that's what happened i started 
started winning, winning, winning a couple of races here and there. And then in, uh, you know, 94, I really put my, you know, it was in a 93. I clicked in my head. I started working harder. 94 was the year I rode, uh, 250 motocross for the first time. Yeah. Cause in 93, I rode supercross and then 125 outdoor. Yeah. Finished third. I think that's unheard of too. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird. Right? Like I went no back one down. Would do, no one would do that these days. No, no, no. And you know, I have to say, you know, supercross came pretty easy, but outdoors, it was hard. Yeah. Kodrowski, Larocco, yeah. Emig was tough. Yeah. Um, these guys know how to ride motocross. And I was like, okay. And they're just those suffer dudes too. You yeah. know, like motocross really favors the psychos. Guy that, that just, can just suffer. Like, look at Brownie still. Yeah. Just wants yeah, to put yeah, himself yeah. through it, you know? And it's yeah, just like, yeah, he yeah. just loves it. Being I, I feel like now he, I mean, he's as good as he ever was Dude, it's right now. Yeah. It's crazy. He did all the hard enduro stuff. It's pretty, guy's a madman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Brown still is, you know, Brown and I raced in 87, 125 Dude. C class at Ponca. That was a year before I was born. Yeah. Sorry so Mike Brown and I have known each other since 87. Damn. And I just started in June of 86. Wow. So I went to Ponca that year and raced Brown. I won that year in Loretta's and he won Ponca. No I got shit. second. Yeah, so uh, we've known each other for a long, long time, and and I I just love Mike Brown. He's so cool. That's one of the cool things. We'll try and remember to circle back to where we just were. Yeah. But uh, that's one of the cool things. It's one of the weird things about moto, but it's also one of the cool things about moto is that you're on the line racing a dude that you've been on the line with for 15, 20 years. Some, you know, as you get older, like even longer, you know, there's so much weird tension and baggage and you know like Barsha and Tomac literally never having a conversation together until maybe they've both got two years on their 450 career left and they're in the tunnel at Anaheim being like well being a dad's pretty cool and they've literally (laughs) known each other their entire life it's interesting for me as a fan of these guys because it was so different in your day right it was so so different we hung out a lot all the time like Rhino and me and Factory Phil and all the guys that were out here on the West, um, we were all sort of buddies. You know, Emig came in there and threw a wrench in it. Like, he's from Missouri, came out to California, and then, you know, some of his stuff was like, what the? Um, anyways, <laughs> um, for the most part, we were all hanging out pretty good. It was, it was fun. Uh, but, you know, now to be, to be a fan of these guys and connect the dots, right? Yeah. And to, and to know, like, oh, Tomac and and Barsha were in the KTM junior race together yeah. or Dungey and whoever you're like, nobody even knew that until now. It's pretty strange how that, how well, that like is. even Cooper at AC, the first time they ever really had a conversation was they got sat next to each other on a flight this year. Wow. Never even really spoke to each other ever. <laughs> that was the first conversation they ever had. Crazy. Don't you think that like in my mind that that just makes things so much harder for sure, because it it's a lot harder to not be friends with someone than it is to be friends with someone. You've got to build a face, There's tension and like yeah, all the yeah, time. Yeah, and if as an athlete and as a pro athlete, you need to go to these things with no tension. Yeah, feeling really free and loose, and I'm not worried about all this other stuff that happens. You yeah, know? and with crazy relationships, you think about that stuff you for know? sure. Um, but Cooper's used that to his advantage. You know, like I think he's one of those guys that knew the dynamic yeah knew the dynamic and was like oh i'll just keep this shit going i think deegan's a lot like that too 
Like you think him at the star factory at the star compound every day, just swinging his dick around like this little <laughs> asshole teenager. There's just yeah. like farces every yeah. single thing. Like, right. Like we were talking about it the other day and you know, you, you're at those, those facilities now and it's just like, it's like football. It's like scrimmage. Yeah. You know, everything, every single scrimmage you're like trying to win. And then you get well, a cocky little dude like that. that's why these kids become so fast yeah. too. There's yeah. part of that, 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 you know, you want to be the swinging dick every day. Yeah. Yeah. Because right? that, that dynamics there, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And I mean, you're 17 years old. No one's going to tell you you're not that guy. Yeah. You know, yeah. when I was 17, I was, I was in high school, just barely quit working Vons to ride dirt bikes and going to Paris and racing for 200 bucks on Saturdays. Right. I wish I could ride my bike that good at 17. Yeah. You know, it took me longer till I was 19, 20, but, um, yeah, that's the beauty of those compounds today, but those kids can get so fast, but they're also, when you're young, you can be cocky. You know what I mean? It's uh yeah, I'm sure it's a pretty crazy environment. You know, but, that's probably why they only have certain guys in those environment, right? You gotta, yeah. you gotta keep the, keep that kid being built up, yeah. you know? So, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's funny. Cause you're going to start seeing people come and go like Levi kitchen, just left star. Like when's anyone left star? I know. Like what's yeah. he leaving for? I know the bike's still good. They're still got like, what's the th- to me it's obvious it's just like okay i'm out this sucks like oh, because I just, of the environment yeah i just he's like this just isn't for me like i'm just not i don't want to show up and be at fucking hard or, rocks yeah, every or single- have to listen to this shit yeah. all day long yeah you know yeah 100 I mean? yeah. like yeah. it's a and so that's that whole like i think you probably had it different because you were just like the Fonz forever. Like you were the coolest dude you were with. Like, so what, what tension have you got? You know what I mean? Well, I never felt like I had any tension, but I yeah, never was Jeremy didn't. McGrath's teammate either. That's you what know? I'm saying. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. So for me, I was, um, you know, I was just you like the fun atmosphere. Yeah. Right. I mean, me and Lamson had a good time. We like all my Doug Henry was on the, we were on the team together. It was super fun. Um, Jimmy button and I were, you know, best buds yeah. throughout our career and just had so much fun together. And we, like motocross was almost second. Yeah. Is we were just like you were doing we were it for the high enjoying thought. life and yeah. having so much fun and like listening to the new rap music and just cranking the tunes. We had the stereo and the semi and it was just normal stuff, you know? Yeah. Um and and now it's just, you know, you got the different tensions here and there and you know, uh, I don't know. It just seems it, a little more psychotic these days, <laughs> I think, you know. Is it the money? Like did the money change it? Because so like, all right, one thing I'm interested, obviously this it's personal, so you can skirt around it however you want, yeah. but like, I would assume that you made a fuck ton of money. So it's not like the money wasn't there, but it's like, did you just, you built up the sport enough to where then like Ricky, James, Chad, like they made the real, is yeah, that how it That's worked? how it worked. I okay. mean, Ricky Johnson before me, Jeff Ward, Ricky Johnson, Brock Glover, all those, that era, all of my heroes are like that. We look back, Ron Lachine, all those, David yeah. Bailey, all those guys, Johnny O, those guys built it up just enough where I could take it yeah. and go. Cause do you know any guys from that era that really can retire? Not really. No, no. they all still. And then in my it. era, I'm the only one that could really retire without working if yeah. I didn't want to work. Yeah. So I'm blessed in that way. The money was plenty good, but again, my first deal when I wrote for Mitch was 35,000 bucks. Yeah. Right. The second one was 55,000 bucks. My first pro career 250 contract was a hundred thousand bucks with Honda. Now 
where it fits in for me is I was able to win enough yeah. to take all the bonus money, which supplemented what I made as a salary. Yeah. Right. So, um, thankfully I didn't go crazy, didn't go crazy spending everything. Um, and, and made plenty of money where it can compile. And now, now I'm, now I'm fine. Right. So I don't have to work. I love to work. Yeah. I love to do what I do. I'm so stoked to work with Kawasaki and do the things we do. Host science of supercross, do events, do all these things and take it at my own speed, my own pace. And I love all that. Um, but you don't have to, no, I don't have to yeah. for sure. And when my era ended, that's where Ricky took it. Yeah. Right. And then t Ricky took it to the next level, which allowed James and Chad yeah, and those three in particular, Ricky, James, Chad to go make really, really big money, really big money, significant amount of money. And um, was it was a lot more than what you would have made. Yeah, I think it was a pretty big change. I mean, the most I ever made, including bonuses and champion, the whole thing in one year is like two million bucks. Oh, fuck. Really? Now these guys get four million to show up to the start line. Dude, yeah, right? that's luck. That's but a I had to do difference. that several times to accumulate, yeah. you know, money to not be able to work yeah. um, and not go crazy on my spending either. Yeah. So um, it's provided me a nice life. Now, Carmichael's the one that really capitalized on it, right? So he had a good run, five years. He won everything, took all the bonuses, yeah. you know, did that deal with Suzuki where he made, you know, flat rate, whatever it was. I heard it was five million bucks, whatever. Ricky and I are good buddies, but I don't, we don't talk about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, you just hear those things. But, you know, I, I did my part on being able to build it up for the next guy, yeah. you know, and I still love promoting this sport. That's what I love. I mean, we want these kids to, if they're good at it, to be able to create a career for themselves, create a job and um, have some fun with it. You know, a guy like Jet, Jet Lawrence, you know, yeah. Hunter Lawrence, look at yeah. these guys. I mean, Joe Shimoda is now coming on, kicking some butt. I mean, it's neat to see these new guys. I mean, Hayden Deegan is, his dad is helping steer him, but he's exponentially better than Brian ever was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And Brian, you talked about earlier and the about the conflict he needed that conflict yeah, to yeah. do what he was doing. Yeah. Now someone look at that and go, man, what an asshole. Why is he doing that? But that's creative genius, right? Oh, look what sure. he did. Because Travis didn't even have to get the joke. Right. All Travis had to do. Brian, this is like the genius of Brian Deegan is he set Travis up to just be himself. Right. He was like, Hey, I know who you are. Yep. You do you. I'll do the rest. Yeah. And both of them killed it, blew this shit up to totally. what it is now. Yeah, and all that, you know, all that drama and all that stuff, Brian needed all that to do what he was doing and For create sure. the thing that he did. And yeah. it's, it's commendable, huge. Yeah. Pretty crazy think, to think that. You think now too, like you've got Hayden Deegan and the Lawrences. It's the same thing. It's just like, hey, we'll do our thing over here. Jet, Hunter, just you do your you thing. Do your thing. Yeah. I'll take it from here. Right, you know? right. Well, you know, the, the things that, that we didn't that we never had as in our career window was more like the media thing. Yeah. And uh, Brian and Hayden and their team have a really good handle on how that works and they're capitalizing on it really well. Um, you know, it helps to have a talented kid. Of course uh, he has a bunch of talented kids. I mean um, his daughter's amazing too. Yeah. Uh, Haley's, and she just did a two year deal for yeah, Xfinity, for, which yeah, is crazy. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Pretty amazing. So yeah, I mean, it's uh <laughs> It's funny. We were ta actually talking about that yesterday to, with a friend of mine. And, and you like now, now Brian's a dad. Yeah. He's mentoring his kid, 
but he's not going to tell his kid to act like he did. No. Right. So he's going to say, do the opposite of what I did. Cause now it's working for you. Yeah. You're winning dirt bike rider. You can have this career in the corporate world and do all this stuff. Um, which sort of Brian was trying to get to that part, but he didn't make it there. So he had to create another Avenue. Yeah. Genius. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, it's crazy. The world takes you in different turns and, and, uh, you know, when I was racing back in the day and we were kind of the racer guys and then that, that freestyle thing came out and they were acting crazy and reb rebelish, you know, we were like, what the hell? These guys are tearing down everything we built. We're trying to yeah, build up here. Yeah. So it was this that, constant little battle. That's real, bro. Because I remember when I first got here and I yeah. was working for JDR KTM, like yeah. that's what I first did. Oh, okay. And, uh, we'd go to these like sponsor meetings and shit and they'd be like, Oh, like the crusty demons. Yeah. That doesn't really fit our vibe. And we're like, no, 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 no. It's not crusty demons. They're like these fucking or metal militias, what yeah, they right. would say. Yeah. And then we're like, no, they do that shit. We do super cross. Like we're in the we're state, racers. we're the races. We're like the clean cut American, you know? <laughs> yeah. But everyone, no matter where you went, no matter what meeting you went in, they're like, oh, Brian Deegan, metal militia. Yeah, no, nah, I'm not interested. And we're just like, fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the connotation that everyone had with just two wheels after those guys did their thing yeah i mean it's kind of the way i look at it is a it, it's it was very impactful right because we were trying to go corporate over here trying to win races and that's why we have a starting gate and we want to kick the shit out of the next guy on the starting gate well they're over here getting judged by a contest and all this stuff and we're yeah. like that shit ain't real yeah, yeah so you know there was always this constant little thing but it's a little bit the analogy is a little bit like say what hell's angels sort of did to motorcycling in general right to just in the 70s yeah, yeah some yeah. dude riding his gold wing down the street on a honda people are like look at that dude you know he's like a he's a rebel yeah. and the guy's probably the nicest dude in the world riding his bike well that's what those guys did to, did to moto yeah. racing yeah yeah you know and and again to go out and create your own line and just create an avenue for yourself it it's so commendable i mean to be able to just have enough nuts to just go out and like this is oh, our yeah. way and that's what we're doing yeah and have it work that's pretty cool but you so you timed i think to the your career the best in the sense that you made enough money to retire but the money didn't spoil the fun yeah because then it true. seemed like once it got past you in terms of usd every year right. then that stops being as fun and you know everyone's sort of st it starts to get a, a I, lot more pressure a lot more on the line then people you know then i think ricky's with the training side right of i think like, that that was what i was going to say is the model itself for being a pro racer changed yes right so i would people always look at me and they go man he had so much fun i don't think he trained very much he just so much talent he was out there just winning and out every night drinking and whatever i it's so funny to me because I wanted people to think that, right? That's what I wanted. I wanted my competitors to think that I was out on a Monday night or Sunday, Tuesday night drinking or something. Yeah. You know, when I not, when I wasn't, I was busting my ass and, but I wanted them to think that I wanted everyone to see that like, Oh, he's got that party boy, you know, mentality, whatever. He's just in it for the glitz and the glam. Yeah. Well, that really wasn't the case. So it was funny when people say that I used to love it. Right. Cause that means they're not working. If I could get them to not work, then it made it easier for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, then when the model came along with Carmichael, it was more like, uh, you know, people look at Ricky and they go, you took the fun out of the sport. Right. Well, Ricky needed to train like that to beat me. Yeah. Cause he didn't have it at first with yeah. Supercross. 
where he was trying to make that transition and it just really didn't work. So he, he figured out my weak points, right? Lap 18, lap 17, 18, 19, 20, whatever it was. And goes, you know, look, with the help of Johnny O, we're going to figure out how to just be better at fitness. Yeah, be there. And for this those race laps. will come to us at the end of the race. Yeah. And it did. You know, it did. That's <laughs> what he, he worked it out. They had a good strategy. And I wasn't prepared for that. And how hard is it to get, all right, how hard is it to get fit for 17 laps of Supercross versus 20 laps? Like, how oh. hard is that extra three? Oh, it's so hard. I mean, that's honestly probably 30%, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, when you go into AT, which is anaerobic threshold, when you get over AT and you're you're pushing it, you only it's like an hourglass. You only have a couple <laughs> laps left, right? Yeah. So if I hit AT at like lap 15, 17 came pretty good, but about 18, 19, 20, if someone was on your ass, you're like, all right, kind of like my 50-year-old deck <laughs> race that wasn't mammoth, right? Um, so it's those things are you know, and, and by the time, by the time I was like, Oh, okay. I know what his strategy is now. It was too late. I was under trained. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then like what happened with jet this year, sort of, I, I referenced the same thing What with what happened to Ricky. Once he knew that he could beat me late in the race, well then that all of a sudden build his confidence up. And then the next year he's like, Oh, I want to build that up. Yeah. Right. And then the next year, even if I came back in shape, it would have been a lot harder, Yeah. which, you know, is always the case. You cannot give the kid all the confidence. The window, like this year when Jet was riding motocross, those guys being hurt and him really not having a stacked field too, but too much in the beginning of the series really did wonders for him in confidence wise. Yeah. Now he's going to be able to go to Supercross and go, ah, well, well, I guess I feel S- like I should win. And SMX. Exactly. So, like, yeah, they just literally gave him. All the confidence. I mean, look, timing is everything, right? Timing is everything. That was brilliant on Honda's part to let him ride 450. Oh, yeah. Because originally they were probably, Lars was probably thinking, okay, we're just going to let him ride 450. We're not worried about the title. We want him to be ready to ride in January 24. Yeah. For Supercross. Instead of coming in fresh off the 250 for 450. So the thinking was right. But then all of a sudden, stars lined up and it started to happen, um, which was incredible. I mean, it worked brilliant. Yeah. But it, it, you know, it wasn't designed like that. It was designed to get him to ride the 450, get used to it and all that. And then, then he got all that confidence and it was like, well, someone's got to win. I might as well be the winner. Well, that's literally Hayden said the same thing the other day. He goes, man, the first time I beat Hunter, I was like, cool. That's, that's it. it. Now I'm going to beat him every week. <laughs> that's it. It's like literally for a dude like that, that's used to winning. It's just that simple. Yeah. Like you beat that one guy once. Then you go, okay. And I used to say it all the time, like whole shots is, is kind of like that because it's sort of a mini race within the race, right? Oh, absolutely. And there's guys that like you want to think you can hopefully get the whole shot or there's a guy that just knows they're going to get the whole shot. And it's like, yeah. if you just think you can, you can't. If you know you can, you can. That's, that's sort of, that seems like the way it works. Yeah, I think it, it's... I agree with that. I think, you know, like when I went to the line, I was like, well, I'm going to get, I'm going to get the whole shot. That's yes. just, yeah. I didn't go there for a bad start, but there's a guy like, you know, Mike LaRocco, for instance, like he probably got like three whole shots in his life. Yeah. Right. Cause he just went there going, man, I'm screwed. 100%. I'm going to get a bad start, yeah. you know, or whatever. I mean, look at AC. He, he gets great starts, gets out in front. I mean, it's so much easier to win races from the front than it is yeah. from the back. So, um, you know, yeah, it's it it's absolutely that way. If you go there believing you can and you feel like your technique is there and everything 
once you get a few, it's, it's infectious, right? Yeah. You go, okay, I'm going to get the whole shot. But you almost can't do it without knowing that you can first. Like there's a weird chicken and the egg kind of thing that happens. And then like once you get the first one, then it sort of impacts that mentality. I mean, it's, I think whole shots are a buildup of everything else that's happening too, mm. right? I mean, you start to crack the code. Yeah, do you even want to get the start whole shot? Start to crack the code yeah. on motocross. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, I start to, I'm starting to win here. Okay, and you start to put – the whole thing is like a puzzle. You just got to yeah. put it all together. Yeah. And uh, once you get the confidence, what if we're going to go race around this circle right here, once I have the confidence, I'm going to be the winner at that race too. Whatever it is, you just go like, all right, yeah. it's a mindset. Yeah. Right? And you can see the kids out there that have it and the kids that are getting it or you can see it building up. Yeah, along the way, and uh, it's a hard combo to beat in certain kids, like like Hayden Deegan, for instance. Like once he believes he's going to be up there, he's just not going to not be up there. Yeah, you got okay. I got the best bike. Uh, won all these races. Super fit. Uh, okay, cool. Like I just you check the boxes and then exactly. just go and do. We're the going thing. to win. Yeah, there's no searching anymore. Totally. You know. Yeah. And I've been around guys. And maybe you have, we're in your career at points where you're just like looking for answers. Like I remember Joey Savacci when he rode for JDR. Yeah. You know, it was like he was just looking in all these different places for all these different answers. Granted, like he's a fantastic rider. Like yeah, fantastic. He, he figured it out. But it's yeah. like you could see a kid in his first <laughs> series of first season of Supercross just like looking for the answers as opposed to just knowing you've got all the boxes ticked. And that shit just takes like so long to build up. Like you said, it was like three years for you. Right. And, 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 a, you know, let's take Joey for instance. I mean, he, he would get great starts, but he, even all those great starts he got, he still didn't believe that he was needed to be up there mm. or was belonged up there. Right. I mean, that stuff start to really should just take over. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, there's 22 guys out there on the starting gate for Supercross. Yeah. And probably two believe that, that they, they could win. win. Yeah. Right. Even though they can all lead laps, there's five or six of them that can lead laps. And if the stars all line up, that one guy that maybe we are not sure could win, can win. Yeah. But yeah. for the majority of the time, the guy that we know feels and believes he can win is going to win. He's going to win. Yeah. 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 Cream always rises to the top. They're all great riders. I mean, with the addition of new, new teams coming in, I mean, think about how many factory riders are going to be on the starting gate now. Yeah, which we need. Like, yeah. it, it needs to be full. The like, Supercross is a such a weird sport. It's like a, I guess, a different point entirely. But where you can just like show up and race. Like, if I got my license to race Supercross in a few months' time, I could roll my bike into the stadium and just have a crack. Like, kind of weird in a sense. You know, it and used then, to be even easier. I think now really? they now they make you get a pro you gotta get point like somewhere. You got to race yeah. arena cross or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it is like, could you imagine the NBA, if you've got some dude outside of Madison square garden on like a pickup half court, that's just <laughs> crushing it. And then he's like, looking at his watch like, ah, oh, fuck, I've got, I've just got to go. Cause I think the Madison square garden game, I'm going to try and get in. Try it's get like, in. no bro, you can't play here. Like this is not, yeah. for, this is not how that works. Like it's just a very weird system that we've got. And I think that with Ducati, triumph like these more uh more manufacturers hopefully we could see a full lineup of you know factory rides i think you could change the schedule so much better for that like there's so much it sucks to say because the privateers are a dope part of the sport but 
feel like yeah, that's well, some a, of those kind of a direction are going to get a get chance now. Up. Should get yeah, maybe yeah. a B level ride on one of those teams. Yeah, you know, um, it's going to be interesting. Interesting to see how it lays out. You know, there's going to be a lot of factory riders on the start line, right? Yeah. There's a chance now that factory riders might not make the main. Yeah. Right. If 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 in time when those teams all come in, yeah, there's going to be a a time when we'll see factory riders. Oh man. He didn't make the main tonight, yeah. which is going to be a weird thing, you know. Yeah. So, do you you follow MotoGP quite a lot? Absolutely. Eh? All right. Yeah. So, what's your theory on why Ducati are entering motocross? Have you thought much about <clears> it? <throat> hmm. Uh, you have to. If you have to guess. Well, I think this. Uh, I think sometimes, and athletes are the same way. When you when you're good at something and you're winning, you're dominating. You think you can be good at everything, <laughs> right? I mean we all like I'm winning supercross and I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to go race Indy cars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honda will probably give me a chance. Let me go drive the car. I'm like, yeah. oh, I could be an Indy car racer. Well then when I retired, I'm like, okay, I'm going to drive NASCARs with Dale jr. Monster sponsors him. And, and, and I did, and I went and did it. But on these little tracks back East, um, you know, you find out really quick that you're not as good as you think you are. <laughs> It's freaking hard. You know, I'm a dirt guy. And, and I was like, when I went to drive on the asphalt, I was like, car gets a little loose. You're like, yeah, oh, you'll, you'll you'll get out of the, the throttle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. These guys yeah. are like, you know, just like they just grow, grew shit. up doing it. It's like a boxer not flinching when someone throws exactly. like a, a jab. Like it would if someone yeah. was doing that. Dust, be we'd like, be like, whoa, boy, he's a yeah. guy. Yeah. yeah. These guys can see stuff because yeah. they grew up doing it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the same thing. It'd be like if we took any one of those guys and put them on a dirt bike, they'd be like, what? Um, so I believe that in Ducati's case, maybe they're just feeling like, well, you know, we're conquering the world right now. Maybe we need to, you know, maybe they've been kicking around the idea for a while. Mm. I don't know, but it's going to be interesting that they certainly are killing it at MotoGP right now. I wonder, this is my conspiracy as a MotoGP fan. So you've got KTM coming in. They're probably the only real threat to Ducati in MotoGP. Right. So KTM over the last few years, to me, it looks like they've pulled back and I know like some shit about the business. Some inside stuff. Yeah. So yeah. it's like they've pulled back massively in right. all of these other avenues and that's all off-road motorcycles, right? Yeah. So they've been able to have such a crazy quick rise to the top of MotoGP because they've kind of pulled from everything that they're already focused, dominating on. Yeah, focused on that. So they're like, oh, well, <clears throat> to your point, we're killing it at everything else. Right. So we can start leaning this shit out. And, and then do we'll, something else. we'll put it into MotoGP and we'll catch up quick. So I wonder if this is Ducati's way of trying to get that money away from the MotoGP stuff put it back into the the dirt side of things because but i mean ducati's never had a dirt have they ever had a dirt I anything don't. built purposely for dirt i'm not, not sure they have well they've done the they've they done like that, an adventure style yeah like, adventure right? stuff yeah basically yeah. and like i don't know maybe some of the scramblers yeah. or whatever but yeah that seems so crazy to me that in two years we'll have triumph and ducati like two in dirt bikes huge companies yeah. racing supercross it, it is Carole. strange when you think of those names you only think street yeah right and has caroli did you see the thing about caroli going to ducati no so yeah that's their team manager so i don't know whether i just saw it on the on instagram but i know italianos love yeah 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 other italianos yeah 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 right, so like right. that holds even to take 
Caroli away from KTM. It just, to me, the optics of that scream like Ducati trying to fuck with KTM. This goes back to our conversation 10 minutes ago. Wouldn't you think Caroli would ride off in the sunset as a KTM ambassador? For life. Right, but here we are. He's he's an ambassador for them, and the the window's open for him to go do something else. He's the team manager. Right. For the factory team yeah. right now. And like he's just like, ciao, Bella. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. I just... Uh, Ducati's got the money, right? So yeah. Yeah. they're pretty, an Italian brand. Makes sense. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's going to be like extremely interesting to see. And then if Marquez, apparently Marquez, gone. I heard that. I saw See that. ya. Straight he's going to be with his brother? Yeah. Hey, dude, scary. Grassini team? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because I saw that lineup the other day, and it had his picture wasn't in there. And then you you see the interview with Marquez a few days, well, a week ago maybe, where he's like, "I'm we're working it out, we're trying to figure it all out." But that was just a ploy, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is unconceivable right now to think that Honda and Yamaha went from the top of MotoGP, (laughs) and in like three seasons, they're like the worst teams, Yamaha especially. Yeah, it's Ducati. KTM Aprilia Aprilia and then it's the Japanese manufacturers Suzuki freaking crazy not even here insane dude crazy and the top of the class is like six Ducatis in a row or five or whatever it is you know and every week maybe the best rider of all time is gonna leave factory Honda which he was unbeatable on in 2019 was it 2019 the last time he won what yeah it was was three seasons three seasons ago unbeatable yeah. You know, and you're going to give up. But I wonder, I was actually talking to um, Hammer, another Jeremy. Jeremy, yeah. Uh, about it today. We're, we're talking about like Marquez on the Honda. And it's like, he he's basically saying like, why can't we just go back to the 2019 Honda, start from there? And like, because that bike was a bike that you could win on. But I think it's a matter of that bike now is so shit so compared to a Ducati. That and Mark's like the reason he's having the crashes is because he's like Quadraro could try and ride to the level that Mark is, but Quadraro is just going like I'm, not I'm out, myself. bro. And yeah. Mark's like still on the sand. Yeah, on well, a bike I mean, that it, you just it, can't it, do. That it. that kind of thinking is it would be like okay, you giving me give me my '96 Honda, yeah, and let me line up, and it's gonna be as good as it ever was. Yeah, hell no. Yeah, not, no, there's no chance. Yeah, maybe that was the best two stroke there ever was. At that time, yeah. At that time, or technically, maybe Ever. I would put that because it wasn't that long after two strokes kind of stopped, right? Yeah, that's true. But so I would put that bike against any aluminum framed Honda. But um, that kind of thinking, like, you know, we always have these memories, especially when you're winning, of like, oh man, that was so cool. Yeah. We could just go do that and keep that feeling forever and do yeah. that. Yeah. But the equipment, like you said, is so shit yeah. compared to the newest stuff. And maybe electronics had to do with that, right? little bit i'd say so electronics i mean these riders sometimes i mean although the 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 high side of bagnaya a couple weeks ago was pretty gnarly but you don't really see that a lot that was like the gnarliest two turns (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was dude just getting flashbacks right now of that yeah i could not believe seeing peko just flying through the air on the second turn after getting a whole shot yeah and i think the electronics quit or something because when he nailed that thing just went sideways and was gone do you remember uh casey stoner on the uh warm-up lap 
oh, I can't remember what. Maybe it was in like Italy, Mugello or something like that. And yeah, Electronic just went rah, and just yeah. Poof, gone, Another just guy, exploded, Casey, dude. was amazing at just pushing it like Marcus. You yeah, know what I mean, yeah, yeah, and that's what I think. Like you're <laughs> seeing with mark is like dude, um how he got on the podium on the weekend is just beyond Incredible. like what a man like yeah, honestly yeah, yeah. especially when the other honda's like just not even a thing it's not even in the same nah. race hardly it's like they've given him a samurai sword and it's just on this perfect edge and if they're like you can cut anything if Don't you hit it with this cut. edge yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you get off that thing yeah. you're done yeah yeah it's it's been really crazy to watch i I don't know all the ins and outs, but I'm a fan of MotoGP and yeah. K, uh, KTM's rise up has been really neat to watch. Um, Ducati's been, you know, I know when they first came in with, you know, Casey and um, the other dude, Caparossi was yep. the other yep. rider. Yep. Um, you know, they were giving that team some advantages because that was more like a production bike instead of a works bike. So they'd give them a little bit extra power yeah. back then. Remember yep. the rules? Yeah. Yep. And I don't know if all the rules are still even or they're still riding like a, maybe not a full works bike. So they get some of these advantages, but I mean, you work within the rules you're given, right? I mean, yeah. Ducati's done a great job at that. So, um, you know, I, as a fan, I'm a little, I think it's a little weird with all the aerodynamic things they got. Yeah, and then so they, they got the suspension that sucks down yeah. out of the corners. <laughs> yeah. You're like, what? It's a trip. They're I, riding I, spaceships, bro. Right. They are totally. And I think it takes some of the riding out of it. Yeah. Let the rider be the rider. Yeah. You know, and electronics did a lot of that. So, yeah. but I mean, they're also using, you know, probably Formula One's, you know. Well, I think KTM's using form the F1 wind tunnel. Right. Okay. So they're using some Formula One technology. Yeah. And there's I a think lot they of literally put it in their tunnel, like, oh. which is fucking gnarly yeah, to think yeah. about. Like I mean, KTM in three years, like Pedro Acosta, see ya. That's <laughs> like, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's over. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, it's got to be a tough space in your head if you're Mark Marquez, right? Because yeah. you're just getting whooped now. And that's, he still has that fight in him. And he's like, shit, what am I doing? Yeah. So we'll see. If he, if he in fact, leaves Honda and does that Ducati deal, then we're going to see. I mean, his brother's riding great on that bike. Yeah. Right? So we'll see. It's interesting. I, I wonder if um, Honda stays in the sport. Like, it just seems like such a crazy big deficit to overcome. I mean, Yamaha's with them, though, right? Yeah. Same thing. And Suzuki, and then they bowed out. Like, yeah. you just got to get to a point There's where... There's no Cowie in there. No. Been a long time. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I think if you're those other manufacturers, Ducati, KTM, Aprilia, you want to make it so the other ones stay in. You have to, So yeah. you want to either give them... Ducati got an advantage for a while. Yeah. You want to now take Honda and give them an advantage and give Yamaha advantage so they can get back up and they can all battle. Yeah. I mean, it's good... Yeah, they're dominating, but it's good for the overall health of the sport if you have everyone battling together. Yeah. yeah. And it's the same in Supercross and Motocross. Yeah. You know, the new brands coming in, you got to give them enough space to really let them build themselves up. You, you know, Yamaha, Honda, KTM, um, uh, even Suzuki with Roxen. You never know. It's a proper fight yeah. every week. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. Lawrence is winning the Motocross series, but, you know, the, Sexton was in front of him a lot. And, whatever you know issues he has going on and then it's even a little weird to see him leaving honda to go to ktm yeah right? that'll just drop see today. all the instagram shots of him with the ktm with the number one on the plate and you're just like well that's crazy i did the same thing i left honda rode the suzuki yeah right yeah i took the number one from honda went to suzuki which is unheard of you yeah. know so uh <clears throat> i think the good thing is the sport seems pretty healthy 
I think so for sure. For us, it feels it feels yeah. pretty healthy. What, dude? Did you watch Motocross Nations on the weekend? Yeah, I, I was catching highlights. I didn't watch all of it. But that crowd, bro. That was packed. That was psycho. That was neat to see that. If, if, can you imagine <clears throat> if every weekend at every MXGP and AMA Motocross, that's what it was like? I mean, that's the, the potential. That there. track looked pretty fun. Dude, for that real. It looked pretty cool. It looked not like not for me, but it looked I mean, there was them. some gnarly jumps on it, but... Um, one of the things I always thought was weird and I raced Europe plenty of times, right? So, um, one of the things I always thought was weird that they have their corners sort of like this round corner instead of just like a point where you could come in and their corners oh, are all yeah. fenced off. So, yeah, so, yeah. so the passing situation versus like an MX national versus an MX GP, the way they shape their tracks is very, uh, you, you can rail the outsides is kind of how you pass there yeah. because you're not getting on the inside of a guy No. where on our tracks, you can get up the inside and slam a guy, knock him out of the way, whatever. Yeah. And I think it's due to the way they shape their corners. It's more of like a inside, like an apex it's on just, the inside. It's, it's not like just an, like a point right, that you turn exactly. around. Yeah. And so I always, you know, that's the uniqueness of the European tracks is the racing looks so different. Um, you know, you see a guy like hurlings or, or even when Cairoli was in there, you know, that those passes, they make they got to just go like 20 miles an hour faster than the other guy and just rail the outside and then they come out together and and uh did you did you <clears> see the first you didn't watch all the first moto did you see the pass that fevra put on uh prado in no the first i one? didn't see it was it bro awesome? it's literally exactly what you said yeah like he railed this outside rut and as just, hard and it the, yeah that his bars didn't have any side to side movement just just it was Locked one in. yeah it was absolutely beautiful yeah, like yeah. the way that he did that but it speaks to exactly what you're saying yeah those guys haul ass man i mean they're for motocross stuff i mean they're incredible well you that, watch those guys when I, I saw hurlings a few years ago at motocross of nations at redbud it he looked like he was dirt surfing <laughs> that thing look he looked like in a different class than crazy, anyone like, and he was i mean he yeah. was he was just railing like our American guys didn't even take the lines he was taking and yeah. he was, you know, five seconds a lot faster than they were. So it was, it, it was really, really cool to see. I mean, those guys haul ass. There's no, no doubt. Yeah. So you talked about, uh, the 96 CR250. We yeah. might as well just go and spend the next 20 minutes talking about it. That's my, that's my favorite bike of all time. That's yeah. one of the most iconic bikes of all time. And like, I think two years ago, right before COVID, I was, I was doing another bike build. It was on my, like on Facebook Marketplace. Found a bike I needed to buy to do this project. And yeah. then I saw a 1996 CR250, all original. Like, yeah. And it was right before COVID. I think I paid $7,000 for it. Really? So, Aussie. Oh, okay. So, so, so about like five and a half US. And it was pretty mint condition? Mint, dude. Yeah. So I think mean, five and a half is probably pretty good. I would have paid... I don't give More, a fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I would have. I yeah. was just. That was like my Rolex of bikes. <laughs> yeah. Where I was like, I want to buy that thing. Never Did you sell ride it. it? Off. Oh, yeah, dude. Okay. Like, yeah. I've fully. Mo it was a, it's a fun bike to ride. Unreal. Like I. I want to do. I've got a build idea. I wish you weren't a, a Cowie ambassador for <laughs> one project because I want to do. I want to build that bike to be like a resto mod. So, you know, you get cars and yeah. then, you know, you kind of, you do the resto mod where you put modern suspension, modern brake, you, yeah, you yeah, yeah. keep everything facing 
old but, but newer, yeah newer components yeah so i wanted to do like brand new forks oh, like brand new machines split triple cr- uh, clamps like there's a really good shock you can put in it like kind of strengthen up the frame a little bit to where i think the beauty of that bike though from back then and the frame moved a little bit i mean look how yeah. many look how quickly ktm came up on the rest of the teams because everyone was aluminum framed yeah. and then ktm stayed with steel yeah so when Dungey was coming, you know, that steel frame bike, he he made such advancements. Yeah. Yeah, Dungey was amazing too. Yeah. And one of the best, if not the best of that era, right? But he, You're completely he, right he had a friendlier bike, yeah. you know? And for a long time, all the manufacturers, you know, the aluminum frame started out in a really bad way. <sighs> I mean, it was unbelievable. Like when I when I left Honda that year to go ride to Suzuki, I, I would have ride anything yeah. to get off that Honda. Yeah. And it was unfortunate because I have so many good feelings and good memories about Honda, but that was the wrong thing to do to me. Yeah. Like I'm like, dude, <laughs> I'm winning every race here. I'm like, why are you changing the, why are you fixing the, and you know, trying you want to, change me to ride this. a lamp post. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And honestly, when I started riding that bike in the off season, I was like, it was like, I forgot how to ride. <laughs> scars on my chin like i mean i had i it it jacked me up uh, several times oh, dude. what and so that was a bit in the 97 that was it that was it was late 96 because we yeah, started going okay. to some yeah, european yeah, supercrosses yeah, yeah, i yeah. raced bercy on that thing <laughs> got so much arm pump in bercy i took like <laughs> i finally won the third night but it was because my arms were so tired they couldn't yeah, pump up anymore. That's because all the lactic was gone. Everything was gone. Muscles, everything was gone. I finally won a, a uh, night of a Bercy on that thing. And then then we went that year to Tokyo Supercross and some of the Japanese dude, that's races. That's cool. Again, scar on my face, got knocked out. Um, you know, I was just like, what in, in the world happened? And I'm in the middle of all the contract stuff at that time. Um, got home from there went to Glen Helen to test an outdoor. We had an outdoor test scheduled. That would have been great. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the ruts were so deep and just like Glen Helen gets. And I, again, I was like, I could not ride the bike. I got off the bike. How did the that- test was done. I called my dad. I'm like, it's weird to say, but we're, we got to leave Honda cause we were in negotiating. We weren't that far away. Supercross was like a month away and my contract was still not done. And, uh, <clears throat> Thank goodness it wasn't done because that would have killed the rest of my career anyway. Because How long it just were you took, going to sign for? Well, it would have been at least two years. Yeah. Right. So yeah. probably two years with a third year option. So that was probably would have been, you know, I was just that's it. Yeah. Ninety six Supercross champ. Um, had my best season ever, fourteen wins out of fifteen. So the negotiations were going fine, but it was just slowed a little bit because of the bike, and then then I made my final decision on that. Um, and there's no fixing that thing. Like no, there's no I mean, look, clamps and there's I mean, no, the, there's pr- the proof is there, right? I, I left Honda. Thank goodness for Mel Harris and the boys at Suzuki. They gave me that opportunity, went over there and yeah, the bike wasn't perfect, but it rode good. It was fun. We had to, you know, we had to put the conventional forks back in the closet and get the upside down forks back on the bike. There was a few <laughs> things. LaRocco and the team riders were really pissed because I was able to change my bike and they weren't. Uh, if you remember those conventional yeah, forks yeah, they had, yeah, Albertine yeah. and him, and I was like, man, these things suck bad. <laughs> and I put my 96 Honda forks on that bike, just no standard show of forks upside down. Immediately changed the bike, started, was able to run up front, winning the win. And, um, you know, Wayne Henson from Henson gave me a lot of his time and the, and, and fixed the clutch on that thing. I had 
many problems with that. Um, so there was a man, we, we structured a really good team to get that thing working pretty good and almost won the title. So it was, it, it was, it was good. Um, the opportunity to ride that bike was, was what was so great because I was, we did it with like 20 days to go. Yeah. You, there's no way unheard you of. race that block. Unheard of. 97. Yeah. Unheard of. So, um, it's a shame that all went down like that. Right. But again, it was kind of like what we're talking about. You know, you, you think the script's written one yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, here you go, like 20 days before Supercross season, it's entirely different. I would have never imagined myself riding a Suzuki. No. Ever. No. So, um, yeah, it's, it's wild how that stuff plays out, you know? And we're seeing that now with Sexton going from Honda, Supercross champ, yeah. going on to KTMs. Yeah. KTM really hasn't been that great the last couple of years. No. Well, I think they're suffering from like the exact opposite of what you're saying. They've, they've gone stiffer. Like every year they've gone stiffer. And it's funny, like every test rider you talk to, everyone that you actually talk to that rides the bikes, tries to develop the bikes, all wants them to be more compliant. Yeah, way more. Cowie's probably the one that is doing it the best with yeah. compliance at the moment. I've heard the new 24 is unreal for that as well. But yeah. they've, that's like they've almost gone that direction. Like we went, we went away so far from like that 96. And then you get, cause that bike, like, dude, when you kickstart the thing, you can feel it flex underneath you. Like it's yeah. crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. how yeah. much that bike flexes, but then you go. So like, rider friendly. Oh yeah. It's, it's a, a, a wild feeling to go from a, like, I don't know that many people would have got a chance to ride that a bike. A steel bike to aluminum bike or something. Well, like a 96 to like a modern 450 now oh, it's no. such a huge difference when i left suzuki after those seven months and we went and did that chaparral team with yamaha yeah another great steel frame another great steel yeah. frame so that bike was a lot we made that yamaha a lot like that cr yeah right um and if you saw what happened in the history of the sport at then honda took lusk from yamaha yeah and i went to yamaha yeah yeah so we swapped spots and he was made to ride the aluminum bike he was badass fast. Yeah. Crashed his ass off on that bike and <laughs> yeah. never, I mean, he, he would win races. He'd win a race, maybe win two races. And then the next three races, he'd crash super hard. Yeah. So there's times that if you were maybe perfect, perfect on it or the track you, was a bit, you more could forgiving. do it. Yeah. But man, um, you know, to your point of the aluminum, the steel, Everyone came out with aluminum when it was and made them super super stiff. Why right? did, do you know why they did it? Did they communicate I, I what the no? Because no, like, I never really got a reason why they were doing that. You'd have to think it would be easier to manufacture the steel frames. I don't know. Like, there's always some weird reason why people do shit that you might might not think. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know, but you know what they did is they spent the next five six years trying Chasing to figure it. out how to soften it up. Yeah, yeah. Right, and then KTM stayed with the steel frame. And they keep going stiffer and stiffer and stiffer and stiffer. And you're going to get to the point where they were with the first aluminum frames, right? Yeah, so it's yeah. going to be tough to ride. Yeah. So I don't know. Sometimes, you know, I think with engineering and you can't just ask the riders. If yeah. they would ask me, I would just say, hey, the bike's good. Just, just don't change keep, it. Give me the same bike until I'm done racing. Yeah, yeah. Just give me this exact same bike every year. We can win on this. Yeah. Um, but if the engineers always ask the riders, you're going to get three different inputs. Then they're going to be like, true. okay, what do we build? So they kind of have to just go and 
go, all right, we're going to go this direction and let's stick with it. And the way the manufacturers work now, and you probably know this, they go in four year increments, Yeah. right? They come out with something good, bad, or indifferent. And they're going to, they're going to work with that thing for four seasons. Yeah. Because you can get a black good in that right. time. And then by the, you know, if it's not like the Cowie out, the 450 out now is excellent. The thing is so the 23. good. The 23 models. Yeah. Bitching. That's what <clears throat> these guys are all riding. It's such a really rider friendly bike. So fun. And now they have a new model, right? So they'll have to figure out how to work on that one and, and do what they're going to do to it, make it a race bike. And then they're, they're going to have four years to refine that. Yeah. And then teams come out with a new bike by then, you know? And so <clears throat> they sort of have a system and I don't, I, you know, like I said, good, bad, or indifferent. You can't really ask the riders because each rider has a different, yeah. different input. Yeah. So they got to just go with how the engineering sort of world works. And the riders don't quite understand that, I think. And, and I just got caught up in the engineering cycle, really. Yeah. No matter what, I was winning. They, they, and, <laughs> of course, I'm biased. They should have asked me, like, hey, what do you yeah. want to do? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I just won all those races. Maybe we should just, this bike's yeah, pretty almost badass. Almost season, so <laughs> yeah, let's, I mean, let's try and do that. Yeah, let's build a bike that's completely opposite of the yeah. winning bike. Um, so looking back, you know, you, you wish, I wish like, Oh, Hey, someone would have come talk to me about that. Um, but it's not how it works. It's just yeah. not how it works. So, I mean, we wouldn't have the story of how it all happened if that's what happened. So that's so true. Yeah. It's crazy. Dude. I, uh, my first ever bike that I bought. So we had like mini bikes when I was a kid, I had some bad crashes and then like, yeah. we'd never f- fixed the bike that I had, whatever. So then I was just obsessed with getting a bike. Dad basically said, you got to save up get your own one so anyway the bike when i had enough money to buy a bike the first guess what the first fucking bike i bought was it was a 1997 cr125 oh the, like <laughs> Bro, one of the worst bikes the ever worst. and i got on this thing yeah and uh we didn't even we didn't even go to like a motocross track we went up like kind of we're up in like kinda? the bush kind of thing yeah, yeah so we went up and there was this airstrip like dirt airstrip and my brother who was like 13 jumps on this thing he's like i want to have a ride of it he had a ttr 125 oh shit. so that okay. was the bike yeah, really slow riding. bike going on yeah. that and then so anyway he gets on my bike and just fucking <laughs> gets it into six gear and this thing just gets and the dude does yard sale my brand new bike no way. broke his wrist smashed the bike to a billion pieces and I was like, fucking kind of scared of that thing after that. Yeah. And then, dude, every single time I rode you that bike, it? probably crashed, but just head shake. Yeah. Like just every time I went down a straight, I remember like- Well, I you was, were little at the time too, I was, so. Yeah. And I'd be like Imagine too how, scared to get Remember how wide the bars used to feel when you were little? Like it felt <laughs> yeah. like such a giant bike. Oh, and every time I went to dare to tear off off, it was like life or death, eh? Like you just hold your breath, but whoa. Yeah. <laughs> just tra- <laughs> That's so funny. Because I always say now, I mean, I didn't ride 125s at that time, right? Because that was right when I switched yeah. up. To, I was riding 250s at the yeah. time. Um, that bike, when they came out with a 97 CR250, I'm always like, that has to be the worst bike ever made. Because <laughs> imagine your 125 with twice the power and that's, yeah. that same frame. Oh, the worst. I mean, just... I mean, you were just, it was a death machine. When you, when you hit the throttle, so and then funny enough, so I, uh, I bought a 98 CR250, but for the motor, cause they actually have a badass motor. Yeah. And cause yeah, I, yeah. I wanted a spare for the, for the 96. And then we did a, a bike, uh, me and my dad built a 2012 CRF450 chassis with that 98. So we we're like, oh, oh, let's okay. get yeah, one yeah, of these yeah. basically a, for the engine. Did a conversion. Yeah. yeah. 
But man, I remember we bought that bike and I started it for the first time and was sitting and I just had normal shoes on and just like cracked the throttle and the vibration that you would feel yeah. in your <laughs> shoes. I was like, this is got to be the worst most Old 490 Dad, style, yeah. air cool Yamaha style vibrations. And Dad's like, do you want to take this thing for a ride on the track before we rip it apart? And I was like, fuck no. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. burn this chassis, melt it down, yeah, yeah. turn it into a fucking tire one. Like yeah. that's the only thing. <laughs> exactly. Get rid point. of this thing fast. <laughs> yeah, let's get rid of it. Yeah. I don't like its energy. I don't yeah. like anything about it. Well, I mean, I think, you know, um, if you probably asked any of those engineers at Honda, they were first to jump on that aluminum thing, right? They didn't win from me until Carmichael. Right. So Carmichael in 2002, Two, finally. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then he gets a perfect season on the thing. Right. Well, I mean, you remember the setup on that bike that he had? To, it was funky as bars all, all the way down, probably 120 millisag. And the bars back from back the in, center, yeah. from the stem, like is a wild setup. That, they would. I think they were cutting the subframe down like 15 mils. Oh, as yeah. Well. Seat was nothing like it. They, it was a wild setup. Uh, it worked for him. It's yeah. fine. But I mean, those those times were lean so that if you ask them now you're like maybe we shouldn't have probably done that you know what i mean i feel like honda just had some kind of like weird bad juju in a sense because they always made really good motorcycles you know like apart from that little era like from 97 to 2002 like you could say the 2001 frame was okay yeah but the 2002 from then on like they really yeah it was good it was good there wasn't like i mean the 2012 crf 450 was great the 08 was great yeah, like cowie really still good. uses that similar kind of you know Style. frame yeah, now exactly. so it's like honda made great motorcycles yeah. but they never won anything and it's almost like you'd always think the moto gods were like well you fucked mcgrath and you <laughs> fucked carmichael <laughs> yeah, so now yeah. we're fucking you yeah yeah it seemed like that i was always and trust me when i was left honda and i was and they wouldn't win and they'd win a few races i was like karma's a bitch you know <laughs> yeah. and i was so mad that that that, that a, a group of people could let that happen yeah. you know what i mean yeah and and that's always a strange part because all these manufacturers make beautiful bikes you know but honda was always like the they were always Honda. They always Honda, yeah. you know? And uh, those years, though, made the sport better yeah. because those years that they weren't winning allowed all the other brands to catch up. Yeah. For whatever reason, yeah. Yamaha caught up, Suzuki got better, Cowie got a lot better. When I was racing in the 90s early, like Emig was riding that Cowie, that bike really wasn't that great. My no. Honda was way better than that No bike. one's trying to find a 96 KX250. No, no absolutely a, a 96 not. CR250 is as yeah. rare as hen's teeth. Right. And and the Yamaha at that time, when Henry or some of those guys were riding that bike. Yeah, no one really wants it. Forks were way out there. I mean, it's just a weird two-stroke at the time. Yeah. So the Honda had a big advance you know, a big advantage on everybody else. But um, what that did is it allowed everyone else to get better. That does so make sense. Yeah. For the sport, it was just a weird, weird time, but it sort of worked, you know? Yeah. So when you were, um, there's like so many different ways we can go, but when we'll go back to that whole like Carmichael thing, like when he came into the sport and then he had to work <clears throat> so much harder to get that kind of advantage, like from your perspective, like how were you viewing that? And were you kind of at the stage where you were like, mm, I just don't want to be that guy. Like, or you kind of like, I, what was the mentality seeing that little shift take place? 
<clears throat> so, you know, um, Ricky and I are good buddies. Yeah. His family and my family are friends. He was coming out to California. Like great people. Yeah, great people. He was coming out to California when the races were out here, and he would stay with us. Mm. And so I was taking Ricky out in the wakeboard boat, and we were he was 10 years old. Right. So, I mean, we, we've been friends for a long time and any kind of animosity that, that got built up was over, was over media stuff. Right. Mm. It was the media creating some of that. Um, and probably the fans too, because they're booing for him and they're cheering you. It kind of right. automatically creates a bit of a storyline in itself. There was a little bit of some of the fan when, when, when the, when he started beating me and the fan thing, they were booing him and all this stuff. Well, there was a couple of blunders they did like the MGM grand they brought him down in a king's chair with a king's crown on and the fans were like no 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 you can't do that too soon bro and yeah it's way too soon (laughs) and ricky ricky you know to his fault he went with that that he shouldn't have let him talk him into that stuff because that wasn't you know i i thought it was kind of funny because but but it was it was wrong to do to him yeah right because that that kind of situation created a bunch of fans against him yeah you know it took him years to get get all those fans back and it took a lot of winning to get all those people back on his side yeah you know the fans are funny the way it works you know they they really want the up-and-comer the underdog then then they want the guy that dominates and then when the the new guy comes along and beats the guy that dominates they hate that guy so it's a really funny sort of strange cycle um so what happened to me was, you know, it took Ricky three seasons before he could really get up and compete with me, right? Remember when he first got yeah. on that Cowie, crashed, yeah, put a, a big crashes. foot peg through his leg. Um, then the next year just crashed a bunch and whatever, took himself out. And then finally, like the third year was when, when we were battling and that was when he won. Um, he was riding the Cowie. Then the next yeah. year he switched to Honda, right? So... <clears throat> um, you know, look, I was 30 years old, 31 years old. Ricky was 21 years old, 20 years old, maybe something like that. Um, maybe there's part of me probably that I, you know, I was, I walked the line between confident and arrogant. I mean, I just was confident. You kind of have to in a way. Yeah. Right. I mean, I I was like, okay, he's coming, but I still got him, you know, and the year that he actually, the year he beat me and then started beating me every week, I certainly was not expecting that and was undertrained, mm. <clears throat> but I still felt like, you know, the next year I had enough speed and enough strategy and enough, you know, know how to, to get, come back on him. Well, the next year I started training so hard. I tried to do what he was doing and just put myself in a major hole. And then I, the 2002 season, I couldn't even ride. Yeah. I was so skinny and just like, it wasn't me. Yeah. Um, and like we talked about the window of confidence that he gained yeah. in that within that time where I wasn't able to compete with him. Yeah. My sense or my hope for being able to compete with him again was gone. It was yeah. lost. Yeah. Right. Because he gained that confidence. Now he knew he was supposed to win. Even if I was up there, he could sit behind me and just go up. Okay. Time to go and just yeah. go. Yeah. And those are the things that I did to Bradshaw. Yeah, and Stanton and a few of the guys when I raced. Yeah, once I figured all the puzzle out, I was like, ah, oh, I, I used to. I love Bradshaw. Yeah, he was one of my favorite riders, you know. And but when I got behind him, I would just, and as weird as it is to say, I would just laugh. I'd like, uh, okay, <laughs> all right, time to go now. And I would just blast off and and beat him when he was riding really well. So those are the types of situations that happened to me with Carmichael. You know, he he could sit behind me, and even though he he, he loved me like 
as a writer. Yeah. Um, yeah, we were friends, but you, you also look up to these guys and, um, you know, he, at some point you gotta, you gotta break your heroes. You yeah. gotta break them. Yeah. And that's where he was at. So with it being a little bit out of shape the year that he started beating me, then trying to chase it really hard and being screwing myself up and not being able to ride the, any hope of getting back that battle was lost. Yeah. Right. So <clears throat> the timing is everything, right? I yeah. mean, it took him three seasons though. I will say that it took him three seasons before he could come up and compete with me on a regular basis. So that was good. I held him off for a long time. I'm, Which that when you put it like that, that is a quite a long time to yeah. have, you know, kind of keep that tight, that rain, you know, for someone that is the best in our sport ever, Carmichael to hold him off really to get to my level for three seasons was pr a pretty good accomplishment. Right. Yeah. Um, when I came in, those guys couldn't say that I beat him in the first year. Yeah. You know, Dungey came in, he beat him in the first year. So there's those times when that, that guy, like if Ricky Carmichael, the great Ricky Carmichael was as developed as he was when he was 24 and he came in at, with that kind of, you know, at a younger age, he would have beat me right away. Yeah. Right. So he just had to figure out the puzzle and I'm just, you know, look, I'm proud that we can sit here and go, Hey, the best guy ever in the sport is a guy that took over from me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But you can still say that you're the best ever when it comes to the stadiums too, you know? So I'd feel like there's, there's always like, there's always not, not contention, but I feel like you're just always going to have that seat at that table. And it's all, it's like, it's like in surfing, if you were the best ever at pipeline, yeah, it's like okay, so that's the biggest, that's the best wave. It's the gnarliest wave, and yeah. he's won it the most out of it. You've just automatically like, yeah, mate. Did he win the most world tours? Did he win the most events at yeah, right, on a right, world right. tour? Yeah. No, but you know, so you've kind of. I feel like you've got that. Bit well, I'll always out have that until someone comes along and beats that, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there can only be one king of supercross. Yeah, and so I'm proud to be that guy. I, I mean, I love the sport. I love what it's done for me. I. I give back as much as I can in, in a fun way. But I mean, it's just amazing that the dirt bike was able to do that. You know, I'm just one of the lucky ones. If I started earlier, I may not, may not, I may be working right now, maybe doing it's something just, else. Yeah. It's just timing, timing is so crazy. Yeah, eh? It's timing. It's cool that you can sit here as well and just call it exactly how it was like, cause there's so many times where an athlete, like the next generation should be better than you. Like if you did Agreed. your, if you did your job right, yeah. it should be better than you. Right. And it's like what happened should happen. Like there's just this dude, cause you did it to everybody else. Right. And it's like, there's a guy, but I guess the difference is, is maybe what it took to beat you was something kind of crazy. Whereas it seems like, you beat those other guys by almost like reimagining the sport in a way, but sure. it wasn't like, uh, it's hard to say. Like to me, it's like when for Carmichael to beat you, it's like he put his body on a dyno. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what it's I mean? pretty true. Uh, yeah. Whereas like, and then it was still a car and he was still 
you know, doing the thing, but yeah. you just got the car on the dyno and you just made the car like really, really fucking gnarly. Refined it. Yeah. yeah. Whereas like you changed the way that you drove the car. Like the car didn't change that much. Right, right, You right. changed the way that well, you that drove is, a car. I mean, that is a little bit true, right? Because I hit the window of when the sport was changing a little bit. Yeah, like I exactly. was able to change the style of the sport. Yeah, yeah. Which I didn't go into the sport going, and, hey, this is my unique cul- way. The culture as well which we haven't even kind of culture change for sure but the style the style certainly changed right when i when i was looking when i look at my heroes ricky johnson jeff ward brock glover all those guys (laughs) how high did they jump yeah yeah i mean they were jumping so high front end and they are just i mean guy cooper (laughs) these guys were awesome respect they just just respect (laughs) but they're they were trying to make the obstacles you know, where we were yeah. racing the obstacles and yeah. that, that was the nature of what happened with a bicycle with the BMX style. Um, I didn't set out to change the sport, right? That's just how you rode. It's just how I rode and yeah. how I figured out how to apply what I'd learned on a BMX bike and put it in a motocross bike. Yeah. And a supercross track was the perfect canvas to let that all happen. Yeah. Right. And I was lucky because the sport was ready for some change. Yeah. Um, and, and the of bikes course we're getting better. Bikes were getting like, better. Yeah, tracks were getting better. Tracks were pretty steep and gnarly back then, which was, you know, another advantage I think I had because in bicycles, you don't have any suspension. So you have to be perfect. Yeah. And I could hit the perfect line every single lap, the perfect line within four inches. Yeah. And, you know, it took a long time for guys to figure out how to do that. Right. So there was a few things that really worked in my favor. Um, With Carmichael's case, he revamped what it, took right he, yeah. he could ride the motorcycle as good he as, copied what you did on the motorcycle but then but made then took himself the fitness thing better to a whole yeah. other thing so now yeah. you know and to to take that to into now today's account right you take all those guys are doing the carmichael method they're training like that they're so now now how do you get one guy to stand out yeah well then i think that's where it's just this ultimate pendulum swing right yeah it was like you changed the way the bike was ridden and then it was like now everyone copied that and then they just got better like human potential wise yeah and now you see jet is kind of riding the bike so differently i mean people argue that it's people say he's not but i do really think he is like the way that he's using a 450 and i think rhino said it really well the other day on here when he's like it's jet's making it not about fitness as as much anymore he's making about riding skill because the bike is so fucking fast yeah right the track is so rough yeah like how do i just put this thing around the track as perfectly as possible like you said as perfectly as possible with you know i don't really think jet uses the brakes that much you know i don't think jet goes through the gears in the same way that other guys are doing it with finesse yeah it's so, so you know so then it's like human performance finesse and like yeah you well you finesse, look at you, know? you look at eli tomac right and he's gonna muscle that bike and yeah do things that people can't do because he's stronger than them he's more fit than them yeah <clears throat> which is the combination that he found that works for him um you know looking at jet and seeing the finesse and the way he rides that bike you should think that would lend perfectly for supercross right yeah that's this year is going to be his dream coming true right so it's going to be interesting to see what those other guys are going to be ready for mm. and see how, how ready they can make themselves to battle this guy. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, 
the cards it are in the making, right? It's there. He's got all the thing. Can he do it? He's. He, it looks like he's going to be able to start winning right away, but we'll see. You know, I guess that's why there's a starting gate. Yeah. So you you know that Carmichael's coming. You can kind. You're in it. You can see it. Yeah. How did it look for you of like the way? Because the last few years of your career were pretty, I guess, shitty just in the way of like the KTM thing obviously didn't work out. Like you had this awesome era at at Yamaha, uh, Yamaha and then the KTM thing and then, and then Ricky's like doing his thing. And then you kind of concede in a sense, like I've just lost this ground. I'm not getting it back. Like what did your mentality shift to? Because it seems like from the outside looking in and then yeah, anyone talks about you, they just say you're the nicest, most humble dude. And that's across the board. Like everyone says it. So it's like, would be pretty hard in my mind to be the king of Supercross and then have to almost like just graciously almost step aside. But then you managed to still be the king like while you did it. So I was like, how did you navigate? That seems like a very tricky end of career to navigate to still end up coming smelling like roses the way that yeah, you Yeah, I think, you know? you know, look, I, I think at the end, um, you know, in 2002, I was 31 years old, right? 2003, when I stopped racing, that was when the KTM thing happened. I was 32 years old. That's not not now but when i raced that was kind of old. Old, you're an old yeah, guy back in the day. right so at that point you're already trying to figure out like a, what's my exit going to look like right yep. um we already talked about it i thought i was going to ride off in the sunset on a yamaha didn't work um you know i went i won three championships then finished second in 2001 third in 2002 and then that's when uh yamaha decided to go a different way and I said, okay, well, that's it. I'm going to reinvent myself. I'm going to show you guys. And that's when I made this deal with KTM. Well, it's just kind of a shame it didn't work out because knowing what KTM has done now yeah. is so impressive. I was just a little bit early and, th- yeah. and they were a little bit too ambitious maybe right about then. They had high hopes of doing something, but it just, the bike wasn't quite ready. And then they were going to build a bike for it and they canceled the plans to build a bike. And that's when I said, okay, I can't, I can't race this bike. Mm. It had no linkage. It was just not made for supercross. I already crashed in Europe a bunch on it. Um, dislocated my hip on it at the practice track. And I was like, you know what? I'm 32 years old. The guards already changed. Yeah. I'm, I don't have to prove myself anymore. I've done enough. I'm retiring. Yeah. And it, and it just clicked one day. That's it. I'm like, as, as bad as I felt for KTM, because they, again, like Suzuki did in 97, were going to give me an opportunity to, to show myself and reinvent myself and do, and do all that and do yeah. it my way. And that was a really bold move on their part. Right. And it was, it was, it was crazy to, for them to think that, that, that it would all work out. And it was a little bit crazy on my part too. Right. But again, I was trying to do my own things, my own way. Um, so you know, we did a couple, it was, I have to say it was a little strange, right? I signed with KTM, then I retired yeah. and then I did a, some parade laps on a KTM, which was death defying on that bike. Cause really, yeah, because I was having to ride a bike that wasn't made for supercross. And then, you know, a lot of the supercrosses back then, the whoops are right before the supercross and then I'm expected to do a knack knack. Right. So I'm getting paid by <laughs> KTM. Like to do it. I'm like, Holy shit. Yeah. This is a gnarly 30 seconds. Exactly. <laughs> and it was a little bit like, a little bit like Wyndham doing those opening ceremonies yeah. with those big ass jumps. So well, for that, he yeah, did they for got a while carried away. until he crashed out, like one <laughs> to hurt himself or whatever. <laughs> yeah. and then that stopped. Um, but yeah, I mean, I survived that. And then immediately when that was, when that season was sort of over, it was like, okay, 
no deals. I don't want any deals. I immediately went out and bought some two strokes, bought a Suzuki, bought a Honda, bought a, another Yamaha two strokes, just cause I was like, you know what? I, I want to ride because I'm love to ride. And so I just want to try them all. This is the only time at this point I'll, I'll be able to ride all these bikes without people saying something about it yeah, or yeah. being tied to somebody, you know? So, um, that's kind of how that deal started working. Then I, Eric Kehoe obviously is a really good friend of mine. We raced together. He raced the era before me as the team manager of Honda. Those guys weren't riding so good. He's like, Hey, come out and help us out. Check it out. So I started doing some testing and that's when I raced again in 05 yeah. or something, which and, was cool because I feel like that kind of gave you the send off. And then because you're on the two stroke, that's exactly how I felt. Yeah. It was just, it was like, a way oh, better right. ending. Yeah. It yeah. felt right. Yeah. That one week, you know, I was doing all that testing. I raced a couple of races and then that one week I finished fourth in Phoenix on the yeah. 250 yeah. to the, to the big three at the time. Right. James, yeah. Ricky, Chad. And then the next week I finished fourth again on the 450. You ride the 450. Yeah. Right? So yeah. it was, it was just like, okay, cool. I can still ride. Everyone yeah. knows I could still ride. Yeah. And I did it on I'm, a two stroke. I'm good with that. Yeah. Last top five on Ex the two stroke. Exactly. Last whole shot on a two stroke. Yeah. Um, and that, that for me was like, felt really good to get that opportunity, you know? Yeah. And, uh, from there it was just like, there was no brand ambassador job at the time. People didn't do what I was yeah. doing. I was, yeah. I made that role, started doing it and started doing all these fun events and, um, X games on the, you know, on the for Supermoto, step up, supermoto. Yeah, yeah. And I was just doing all these fun things. Yeah, you kind of got to retire at the perfect time when like that shit was still yeah. happening too. And you were the man yeah. on supermoto for yeah, a while. It was so yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah. Finished what second next games, um, also raced supercross in X games. That's years right. later. Yeah, finished yeah, second yeah. to that. I think Josh Hansen won. I got second, maybe. Yeah, springs a bell. Maybe um, Josh Grant was third in that or something like that. But anyway, it was it was just a really fun time. You could do these. You know, even Carmichael came out later and did step up. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, it just it was a good time to retire a good time to be riding dirt bikes um and it kind of gave you everything you wanted out of it totally yeah and then and then throughout that created a new fun position and that's valuable now to every manufacturer out there and now i've been with cowie i mean i started my career on cowies yeah i won my first supercross on a cowie i was team green for a couple years there and then when it came time to go to my pro career um they had other guys going to team green and I went to the pro circuit Honda team. So, um, in a way when I signed with Cowie again, it, you know, monster was part of it. Yeah. It just all, everything made sense to go, go do something with Cowie and, and do this ambassadorship with Cowie. And <clears throat> I'll tell you what, man, it's been so fun. So, so many fun opportunities. We, I really enjoy the people at Cowie. Yeah. There's, they seem like a really it's awesome a fun bunch of people. group of people. Yeah. So I, I'm friends with Tucker that like yeah. test rides for, yeah. Yeah. So he's just one of my boys and because of him being at Cowie, like it's kind of brought me a little bit yeah, into, yeah. into Cowie. I'm like, fuck, these are good people, man. Yeah. Good people. Good. The bike's good now. Good atmosphere. Bike's killer. Um, been part of the side-by-side -side program with the KRX, you know, and my, my daughters are driving side-by-sides now and we, we take the KRX and we go race King of the Hammers and we do these crazy off-road events and stuff. And, and, uh, I'm just so appreciative of the opportunity, but we also have a lot of fun, you know, mm. there's a great group of guys over there. Um, so yeah, anything related to Cowie that I do, I just, 
I have so much fun and I love it and appreciate it so much. Those guys are great. Yeah. No, it's just <clears throat> cool that you got to, I guess, like be a part of building the sport and then you kind of got to have like that kind of good it wasn't like the fairy tale ending but i feel like the way that it went down we probably got more of you than what we would have you know yeah i think maybe because like if imagine I if you won three more titles at honda and just what more money more everything that comes with it and yeah. then maybe you're just like i'm out yeah 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 Maybe yeah, not, I mean, though. one thing that was never lost, and I, I just always wanted this to be this way in a career, and I'm proud of the fact that one thing was never lost is my love for my dirt bike. Yeah. You know, and I love seeing the people. Like, I can call anyone right now on any of these teams, and they'll pick up my phone. Yeah. Because I'm friends with them. Yeah. Which, which that way of the world went away after my career because there's agents and all this other stuff that happened now. You yeah. know, my mom and dad used to help me do my contracts and then I would go in the contracts with my CPA, Dave. And, um, you know, he did stuff with Ricky Johnson. He did stuff with Jeff Stanton. Um, those, that kind of era went away, you know, yeah. like I, I'm still pick up the phone and call Kehoe and talk to him. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? And, and call all these guys. And, and, uh, I feel a little bit bad for the, some of the current writers that don't really have it that way. Yeah. You know, they have an agent, someone to talk for themselves. And I think it's <clears throat> as an ambassador, I think it's obviously really helped with that position. Right. But being able to speak for yourself is there's something to be said for that. Yeah. And some of that's a loss. Some of that's lost in a little bit of today's sporting. And it's not just moto. It's yeah. a lot of sports. Yeah. You know, um, I'm just, I'm just glad. And I'm just glad I grew up in the era I did. Yeah. It's always, you always think like, you know, Hey, the grass is greener on the other side. And maybe I could have made more money. Maybe I could have yeah. done something differently, but I feel like I hit that sweet spot in the window and, uh, you know, I still love riding my dirt bike. So that's the most important part. Yeah. I think one of the cool things, and I always reference you when I talk to people about this, like even talking to Hayden the other day, you know, everyone always says, I want to be, I want to grow the sport, you know, like I want to be the guy that like helps take it to a new level. And then you get a couple years into your 450 career and everyone's pulling the strings and you've got this tonight show and then you've got, and you're like, fuck, I just want to like, all I'm <laughs> going to do alone. is ride, yeah, all I want to do is ride my dirt bike. So yeah. everyone starts with the intention of like, I'm going to put the sport on my back. Right, and right. you know, like James, he, he could have, blown the sport up he was amazing for the sport don't get me wrong amazing yeah but he could have gone way harder than he did but he didn't he yeah. he turned into that same guy kind of a recluse yeah. everyone had a small circle went around him like he wasn't available he didn't do i mean he did the mtv thing but then you know the industry kind of shit on him for that like it kind of for whatever reason there's like a little bit of toxicity that takes place and then these guys who wanted to take the sport to a new level just want to race, make their millions of dollars and be left alone, right? Yeah. You were not that guy. You were one of the people that said that they wanted to take the sport to new levels and you did every single thing that was required for you to do it. And the whole time that you did it, everyone said you were the nicest, most humble guy. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I certainly was the first one to have a publicist. And mm. Cheryl was my publicist and we did so many great things and she was in charge of that and just killed it. We did the Leno show. We did yep. all these things that were very unique to our sport. We had the first video game. We had the first, we had, I was the pioneer of a lot of fun stuff. Yeah. Now, now Ricky was awesome because he came along and got the sec, the second guy always gets the big, 
big deals, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm 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 happy that he was the guy to go do that, right? Um, but again, I think in nature, the way the sport, the uh, uh, elevation of salaries and money, it it was so big. And it got so big, to, they didn't have to do yeah. that. And they just wanted to focus only on riding. Yeah. So it's hard to take a sport on your back when you're just making too much money. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, is, that you're is like, true. why would I want to do that when I'm just riding my dirt bike and all I got to do is win races. And so that, that's sort of the nature of that. But is Ricky Carmichael it. making money or is Tiger Woods making money? You know? So it's like the argument. I think then the argument would be like, how much is enough? But I right. think that I think well, that's that, that's a fair question because the balance yeah. of trying to be a pro athlete and be as in shape as these guys have to be in and yeah. then take time to go do the Leno show or something like that. You know, you're taking away from you being the best moto rider. So, right. The balance was that they're making enough money to race motocross only and not talk about anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Did they need to grow their brand bigger or not? I was always trying to grow my brand bigger so I could have a better deal, get a Mazda, get one, eight hundred collect, yeah. you know, get Bud Light at the time, um, get these big deals that nobody ever even, Dream no one could get, getting, no yeah. one could get. Yeah. Um, so, but that in turn elevates the optics of the sport the as a whole. And I think that, you know, like, yeah, the guys at the top might be making enough money for themselves, right? but it's only three or four dudes. It's right, not totally. an entire sport that's making that money. And I think that the difference and what you did by taking the sport on your back is you ended up making more, like you ended up not eating more from the pie. You made the pie way bigger. Right. Right. And, and, I, I, think and I think that's what it means to take the sport on your back. Right. I think. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I'm certainly proud of that. The pie did get bigger. I mean, their supercross was, was as grown it grew exponentially with me in it. Yeah. Right. And I think you get a lot of that with, when someone dominates, right. You get like, you take, take NASCAR for instance, Jeff Gordon dominated, right. No one knew. I mean, NASCAR was big, I guess, if you're a car racer. But just us as casual fans, yeah. that guy blew the sport up because he won so much. Yeah, Tiger you know, Woods in golf. Tiger Woods in golf. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. All these yeah. guys that, you know, Lance Armstrong. Yeah, yeah. Who, who would have watched cycling if Lance Armstrong wasn't in there? Nobody. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, you, you know, then take that further. You got Jimmy Johnson who went and continued to win, 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 win. And I think those guys that win a lot are the guys that really – really grow the sport like yeah. that now you but know what what happens think, though i think what happens with that is the guys that make let's say after my era the guys that make a lot of money when they retire they're they they struggle trying to find their footing yeah because they're like okay what what am i what am i defined by yeah who am, am i, I defined by only winning yeah because that's what it seems like right you couldn't say that sort of about me i was doing all kinds of stuff yeah yeah i love supercross and winning and doing all that stuff but i was also just into all kinds of everything right so i was just busy doing stuff um when i was done and not racing i had other stuff that i could do <laughs> yeah and where these guys are um you know they're such just badass athletes and racers that at the end of it they're like okay what do i do now yeah and yeah they made a lot of money and they can retire now but now what do they do yeah and so i think that life is long Right. Life is long. Your career of as a sportsman is like this. Right. Yeah. And yeah, they can make their millions last a long time. But still, um, <laughs> what do you like? What are you about? Yeah. What kind of person are you? What what kind of person have you grown into? Yeah. You know, and all these things. And, and I think that, uh, you know, some of the nature of the sport 
has those riders looking at the end going, okay, what, sure. what am I about? Yeah. You know? And more lately too, I think like more recently, maybe, well, I guess probably it's the same over the generations, but maybe there's just guys haven't had the money to not have to work and yeah. they're put in like kind of that weird position. I think the know? guys that don't make an, the, they make the medium amount of money are the guys that are going to be the most creative when they're done. Yeah. Right. And the most out there. Yeah. Yeah, because they've probably had to bootstrap right. a few more exactly. things. Yeah. Exactly. So they've learned a little bit about that along the way. And so that was kind of me. I was like, you know, I, I was always in the in, in the nature of like, hey, someone's got to win. I might as well be me. But at the same time, I was just trying to find ways of how we can, how I can grow myself, how mm. I can be bigger, mm. bigger. So then I can get the bigger deals, yeah. you know, <clears throat> and still allow myself to race. And, and um, you didn't have like Instagram, I think these days too like a lot of people think that oh, i've got an instagram but for you to have a publicist like uh and not to throw myrtle under the bus here but like i was in australia fourth <laughs> of july jet goes one one at Redbud on america's birthday and i turn on the news and the sport comes on and i'm like surely jet lawrence is on australian news right now at 20 years old going one one on fucking 4th of July. Yeah, right. Perfect season in hand. Yeah. And there was a chick that won in America playing ping pong. And yeah. I'm just like... Yeah. Where's the... What where? the fuck are we up to? <laughs> yeah. Like, seriously, yeah, right. what are we up to? And it's like, yeah. is that you... There's so many things that you did in your career. Like, have a publicist. But I took that on my own back. I That's paid for that yeah. on my own. It was like, okay, this is an investment I'm going to make because it's worth it. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, it cost me whatever, 80,000 bucks a year. Yeah. Money well spent though, bro. Money like, well spent. To get on the you can re- show. Get that, you can get that in tenfold, you know, yeah. if you grow your brand. So, But um, it's not like you just- But these guys also need to be learning class. those methods, right? Yeah. You could take my playbook and apply it to today. Yeah. You know- so it's maybe more valuable than ever now though too but and that's the thing i think like oh well jet's got the the defense is oh well jet's got 405 a million instagram followers but it's like okay yeah, but everyone has instagram now yeah yeah it doesn't really so what's gonna separate you yeah it doesn't really matter you know yeah, and totally. it's like but i guess were you were you cognizant that you were making everything bigger or were you making everything bigger as a proxy of you just wanting to make it bigger for yourself you know i was just uh because it would be hard i mean obviously look obviously if you make everything bigger it gets bigger for me yeah right um and that's kind of the nature of me the way i have always been like uh, when all my deals when i took my bike deals was always about the bike Mm. it was never about the money because i wanted to win on the bike and the rest will happen. Yeah. Right. And so that's kind of the mentality that I took. Yeah. Um, when I, when I came off team green and went to, uh, team pro circuit peak antifreeze Honda team, um, you know, Brian Swink was my teammate at the time he was East. I was West the next year in 92 or no, it was after 92. No, it was 92. He went to Suzuki. Mm. They offered him, we were making 50 grand a year and they probably offered him 150 grand a year. Uh, he went for the money. He went the for the money. I stayed with the bike. Yeah. And then when I went to Honda, he went to factory Suzuki. He rode 92 as a 125 Suzuki rider. Number one, uh, won the East coast supercross championship. 
the next year he was going to be factory 250 rider mm. but guess what now i have a factory honda and he has a factory suzuki yeah he's making 200 grand i'm making 100 grand but my bike's like 20 times better than and his. And you're making money every single weekend exactly. that you're winning. Yeah. And, that, and our career paths, just the lines crossed like, you know, mine was going like this and his was going down like this. Yeah. So I just tried to always remember that part. If I can win races, the rest will happen. Yeah. And so the same thing with promoting the sport and stuff. If I can make this good for everyone, it's going to be good for me too. Yeah. And I, I just tried not to think, think small, you know, yeah. we, my dad really helped me get a Mattel Hot Wheels toy deal, right? We had toys going, really? we had, uh, RC tracks going, you know, with motorcycles, Jeremy McGrath motorcycle thing. Yeah. And so we had the PlayStation games, you know, Supercross 98 yeah. and then Supercross 2000, Jeremy McGrath. And then, um, you know, all, all these little things just kind of added up into one big thing, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it was really about growing the whole brand, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. It was so. almost like now that I'm like listening to you talk about it, it's almost like you needed to make Supercross better so that your brand looked better in a sense. And so you were just like lifting it. Like you couldn't help but come up because you're like, all right, I need this game. Yeah. You, we got this game coming out. You go to Feld. I don't know how the conversation yeah, goes, yeah, but yeah. it's like, hey, I need this, this, and I need this, this, and this from you. It's almost like you're pulling things together because you had this vision of like what Jeremy McGrath could be, and it, Supercross needed to get to a certain level to like live up to that in a way. Yeah, and I think today's world, you know, some of the stuff that goes on is a lot. I mean, in order to be a pro athlete and be the best, you got to be a little bit selfish. Yeah. But I was willing to accept the growth of building someone else's brand too. Yeah to build all of our brand to so build, you felt to build like, our money maker. Like yeah, yeah, totally. That makes sense. And to build our money maker, which is the sport for all of us. Yeah. I was willing to get other guys and let's help this whole, let's get this whole package going. Yeah. It would create a better opportunity for all of us. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that was kind of always the mentality I took. I, I'm not, I'm no business guy by any means. I've, you know, tried to learn along the way and listen and, and just try to apply some of the things I've learned along the way to be a better businessman nowadays at an older age. Um, but I, I strictly try to do stuff with the, with passion in mind. Yeah. Right. I mean, if I don't, if I'm not passionate about it, you're not going to be great at it anyways. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it, the world's not all about money. Yeah. Although some people think it is, um, in order to be good and want to promote and want to help and want to, you got to have, you got to like gotta it. You got to like yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely cool to hear that perspective on it because it was such a like if you look at the very first time you were in a stadium to the last time you're in a stadium, yeah. like that's a massive difference in oh this my gosh, in yeah. this sport, you know. And yeah, I remember yeah. some of my memories, my <laughs> best memories of motocross, are watching you in like Australia, Australian Supercrosses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, when you so come yeah. over at number one on the Came Yamaha. For, yeah, yeah. Rode for those guys. Yeah. Greg da Craig Dack I rode for, yep. and then I rode later on a Honda with Yareev. Yeah, And his that's group right. of guys. Yeah. Um, Chad was there, and then, um, so yeah, I mean, Australia has always been fun, you know? But it's, I think, I just remember, like, you looked bigger than the sport, you know, and, and it was always seemed like you were, 
this team had this sponsor you had 1800 and you had yeah. mazda and you know bud light <laughs> and it was just everything that you did seemed like it was on a bit of a grander scale than yeah. what the sport was currently at but then it kind of caught up and then you did another thing and then it kind of yeah caught i think up. you know like we all know this to be to be true right perception is reality for sure right so what what you see and then you being in so far away yeah. and then I'm showing up, you know, and you're thinking U S standards, supercross, yep. you know, the same things probably Chad Reed thought of when he was thinking of supercross, like, Whoa, yeah, you know, he used to tell me all the time, like all I could do is watch you race supercross, you know, and that was all I wanted to do. Yeah. And, uh, he figured out his pathway to get to the U S to do that. And, you know, for me, when I was coming up and riding dirt bikes as a, in, you know, as an amateur, I sucked at Loretta Lynn's, right? That's that. And, and right now that race is everything for these kids, right? I sucked so bad there. I wanted in the C class, yeah. but then I never did anything after that period. So I was so lucky to get a sponsored, get a factory ride. To be honest, I was one of the guys, luckily at Ponca the week before I killed it and won like a bunch of two or three overalls and won the overall thing. But, um, you know, all I was trying to figure out is navigate a pathway to get myself to the stadium floor. Cause that's mm. where I knew I would be good. Mm. Right. But unfortunately you got to go through all these channels to get there, um, as a kid. So, uh, you know, it's the same with, with these guys that are coming from Oz and coming from different places. They get, they got to find a, a way pathway yeah. to it's, is, is it MXGP then to over to here, you know, look at Tom Vial, for instance, you know, his dad, I raced his dad. No shit. A bunch in Supercross at Bercy many times. He was an MXGP rider. And, you know, now his his dad's dream was to come here. And so his kid, he was probably showing his kid yeah, yeah. the whole time, like, U.S. Supercross, check it out. Here's the goal right here. But we got to do GP first. And then, you know, now yeah, he's you over win, here. And then you got to right. do that. So it's everyone tries to find whatever way it is to get to that ultimate. Some, some never find it. Yeah. You know, I was lucky. Yeah, no, so true. So when you when you first started getting these bigger kind of outside industry or when, like when, okay, simplest way to phrase this question, when did you start to become like Showtime? I had Showtime on the butt of my pants in 87 at Loretta's in the C-class. So you were just Showtime the whole time? I was Showtime the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I have that nickname is because my, I had my own track at my, and my house used to sit on this pad above my track. Yeah. And I was always out there jumping. Is that the one that was on the side of the freeway? Yeah. It's like before the By hospital. By the hospital. Yeah, there, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I grew up there, there was nothing. There was nothing. It was a freeway there? Yeah, it was there, but it was just a two little, two lane little nothing. <clears throat> um, so I was always riding in the back on my track and always having my mom and dad watch me. And that's where my dad was like, we got to put showtime because I'm always like, styling and doing all this stuff it was so corny for back in the day but i was a kid you know I was yeah like, that's Check what you this thought was out, you know? yeah, yeah. and i loved jumping even before i could ever even race supercross you know so um that's kind of where that came from and and me and davy coombs always talk about it like hey 87 loretta's you had showtime on your pants why <laughs> and i was like i don't even know why yeah. you know we had i had jt orange pants with showtime on the back and uh yeah it was just that was always the way it is. And I, I like to show off. I don't like to talk a lot about it. You know, I just like to do it. Yeah. And 
that was kind of my way to express myself, you know? But I think that's so cool. But I think uh, Showtime kind of took on its own life in the 90s and early 2000s, like where that became, you know, like Conor McGregor, the Notorious. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it became a thing. When did it start to feel like it was becoming a thing? Or is it like losing weight where it's like you kind of don't know? It just sort of happens over time. But it, I mean, it, you know, I, I think when you start to dominate. So when I was starting to win a lot and then it was then I was then it was always like styling over the finish line and then the last lap on the triples and it started to take on a life of its own. And then when the knack knack came out, when I started doing the knack knack is when it like really became. Like, Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's really became the thing, you know? Um, and then that, and then that, that took on a life of its own. Right. So then, then everyone was coming up with something, yeah. right. That they having a good n- nickname, it can really help you, your yeah. brand too. It's branding. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it just, and then, and then I, I played into it. Like yeah. I was, I was always yeah, that's, having that's crazy I mean. helmets yeah, and I was doing, to... I was doing these wild helmets with Troy Lee and we were doing it for Anaheim for the openers and all this, the fire coming off my helmets and all these weird taillights. Yeah. Like, um, you and Randy with the blue hair. Yeah, exactly. Blue hair back in the, in 98 or nine, whatever that was. I mean, we, we, we were always sort of trying to do something to make people look at us. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's basically what we're doing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, luckily I like, like for instance, like with Troy Lee, he was his, his business and my career were coming up together. We were helping each other and mm. he, he's so creative and we would sit in there and laugh and go like, Hey, let's do this. You know, let's come out with a helmet with like dingleberries around it, like a lampshade. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. And then I'd go out and win with it. And it was like, Holy shit, dude, what, what's he doing? What kind of helmet? What is it? What is that? Yeah, you know? And yeah. then, um, there was, there was always something. So, um, you know, the showtime thing just sort of, there's a plenty of other ones, people, you know, MC and all these other, you know, things. Um, but, but the showtime always kind of stuck, you know? Yeah. And I think that it definitely, I think that particular character within the sport is what really kind of catapulted the sport, yeah. you know, and maybe. Well, I think from, from me, like from when I looked at the sport as a kid in Australia and like we could just get VHS tapes every now and yeah, again yeah, and yeah. like we'd have to tape stuff if it ever came on TV and shit, you know? So it <laughs> yeah. was kind of like a Two pretty... Two in the morning on a Tuesday legit, night or something. Yeah, yeah. legit. And yeah. like trying to pause the commercials so that you didn't have to like watch <laughs> oh, the Oh, commer- yeah, right, yeah. right, right. Uh, but it seemed like <laughs> that Showtime, the 90s, it just really, everything kind of... It just went from like hay bales in a stadium to the show that we see now lights and you know and i think there's you know the u.s open had a lot to do with that with the way that you know the way they did that that whole deal yeah so it's like obviously there was a lot that was kind of going into it but it just really seemed like you were the face of that yeah i think you know one of the things cool is feld was also creative too Mm. you know they 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 when we were changing they were changing you know Mm. and they created a better platform for all the riders you know, better show, better lights, better opening ceremonies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, they let us do opening ceremonies, like, you know, let us ride a fast lap, do some jumps, ride together, you know. Um, and who were the, like, who was putting forward those ideas? Was that coming from you guys? Yeah. I mean, we, you know, there was a guy named Gary Becker that was involved before it was, it was felled when it was like, 
you know, SRO, then there was Charlie Mancuso and then there's, you know, Todd. And then, you know, there, there there's been a lot of great, a lot of great people that love the sport that have really backed this thing for a long time. And, and, uh, you know, we had many conversations of, Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? And, um, I was lucky to be in those conversations, right. Cause I was the top guy at the time. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I got, I got along with those guys really it. well. Yeah. I mean, that, they were creating a platform for us and, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we all spoke about it together. It wasn't like if I wanted to do something, they would say no, like, Hey, okay, let's think about it. How can we make that creative? And, mm. um, you know, they were investing in the lasers and the month, you know, the smoke machines and the, the music and all the stuff that, that went on with it. So, um, you know, look, I was, I was the guy dominating and winning and, you know, the name people were hearing and the showtime thing and this, but the sport itself was growing too. Yeah. And so I remember the first time we were ever on like sports center, you know, it still doesn't happen, which I don't know why, I don't know but I, I got on sports center a few times after winning, you know, 10 races in a row. Finally, I got on sports center, but, um, you know, it's weird to me to think that, that motorsports doesn't really get us any time on, you know, even if it's just a hair on some of that, you know? Yeah. Formula one does a little MotoGP doesn't even get on it. No, it's you know? crazy. Yeah. So, I, um, but us supercross should be on sports center cause it's an American sport and it's just like, it's as big as the others yeah, and more famous up than the others. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I think that's a little short sighted because if, if someone at ESPN could get, they could help grow the whole sport, yeah. you know, and create more superstars. Yeah. Create more known figures. We're, we're he, like, we're in the perfect time for it now too, because yeah. I think you were, there were obviously a lot of other great guys around you, right. but it was so focused on you through that period of time. Nowadays, like Chase is like the American quarterback out of Ohio state. Yeah. You know, like he, there's the most clean cut American kid athlete kind of dude you got Jet, like Justin Bieber of motocross. You got right. Hayden Deegan. You've got Joe Shimoda from Japan. You you know, like there's so you've got AP the Cowboy. Yeah. Like there's more. Absolutely. Eli Tomac is the fucking American Eagle. Yeah. You've right. got Ken Roxon. Like you've got such a. Eli's cr- a Bruce Springsteen of Supercross. Oh, dude. You know straight I mean? he's, just like, he's just like, you know, Americana as it gets, you know. Dude, I, uh, I was in Rome once and we were, it was like the night before I flew out. So we had one night in Rome. And Bruce Springsteen played a four-hour set in oh. these ruins right next to my hotel room. No so way. we just sat on the balcony with, like, wine and cheese wow. and just watched Bruce Springsteen play for four hours in, like, <sighs> oh, most cool. random thing. Of but a memory you'll take with you forever. The, the best, dude. But <clears throat> that is the best analogy ever. Yeah. Eli pretty, Tomac is the Bruce yeah, Springsteen is. of American yeah, he, he is. It's pretty... I mean, he's he's just the guy, you know. So you think like right now too, especially the world is just so horned up over like a real man, you know. It just feels like we've lost our way of what a man is these <laughs> right, days. Right, right, yeah. Eli Tomac, ladies and gentlemen, he's, he's just been there the whole damn time. Yep, yep, yep. I know. He showed me yeah. a video the other day where Washougal and. Uh, well, I was oh, we're talking about bears or shooting or something. He's like, "Oh yeah, look at this video, dude!" And he's like, "A fucking huge bear 
came up to his back. His wife's at his, pr- at his place in Colorado. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His wife's hit the button to like go to get groceries, and there's a huge bear like trying to rummage through his trash. And his his wow. wife, they've got like the ring cam, you know. Oh wow! And his wife's like, "Hey, why?" <laughs> Just lost Did it. Did he he's get like, it? No, nah, no. Nah, it, oh, it was it, gone it, by it then. Up, it up. He had. He's got this gnarly dog. I can't remember the name of it. But it's like one of those bear dog kind like, of things. And the dog straight up ran out and was like circling the thing, yelling at it. It probably was a black bear anyway. Right? Yeah, I think it was, but it was big. Yeah, like black a, bears are in nature not quite as gnarly as, say, a grizzly bear. And I don't even know if grizzly bears are in sort of, you know, southwestern Colorado. Yeah, because he's, he's more like New Mexico. Eh? Yeah, he's or right like on the corner, corner of yeah. Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado. It's called Cortez is where he's at. Yeah. It's by Durango. Oh, and okay. uh, so it's kind of like the south. It's, it's on good the mountain biking in Durango, right? Yeah, it's Didn't like they the, used to like do the Mecca. Yeah, they used to do like Norba series. And yeah, stuff totally. There, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So he's on the western side of the divide, the continental, the yeah. continental divide. So he's on the western side of that. Yeah, um, which seems pretty unusual for the bears. But I mean, you go to Mammoth and there's bears. Yeah, right. So. But yeah, that so, must have been pretty cool ring ring cam. Video. Oh, dude, yeah. And, <laughs> His so, wife probably was freaking about it. Yeah, yeah, she was she was tripping. Yeah, but as you would, that's the kids were just there. There, don't like, leave the kids the out in the yard. <laughs> yeah, but, but this, I said, dude, shout out to the dog. Like, it's good to know oh. that you've got a dog that would actually do that. Yeah, right. Because right. yeah, the dog just ran out and just started losing it. At this yeah, bear. that's cool. But I mean, American right there. Yeah, like it doesn't get more American than Eli Tomac door, yeah. in Cortez, Colorado, yeah. like doing his thing and just to be, he's just the champion <laughs> of champions, you yeah. know, like he's like that Dale Earnhardt kind of style guy, yeah, you know, yeah. just like the full American champion. So it's like, we can support that now. And I wonder, I think Supercross is definitely getting better for sure. It's getting better. Like, I mean, I'd say over the last couple of years, especially having this platform, like I've been very happy to voice my opinion on what I think they can do better. Sure. Yeah, and yeah. they've done so much of it better, yeah. whether it's come from me or not, like not yeah. saying that well, they you made know, the call I mean, when, that, when, but yeah, when you refine something so many times and Supercross is a really refined machine, right? Yeah. I mean, just like when we look at a, a 450, we're like, holy shit, man, how can this bike get better? Yeah. And they do. Yeah. So it's the same sort of, I would assume it's the same sort of thing, right? I mean, yeah. they're finding ways to make it better. Yeah. But I still think that there is a ways to go when it comes to that side of the sport. You know, like I don't know why there's not more, you know, sports center. Like think about, and I think this is where the money does matter. Like, and I know Wygant, I think he's one of the best in the sport in like that we have mm-hmm. in terms of mind. But he, I think he sort of sits in the camp that's like, ah, is money that much better? Like, do we need money for the sport? Like, shouldn't, doesn't it sort of ruin things? But I think it's very, very easy to like be at a bar and sit down and there's golf on the screen and it's the 72nd hole and a dude has one putt for $3 million. It's just really easy. And any person, like if it's like... Anyone would be interested in that. Yeah. Yeah. Any person can watch that and go, damn, that's $3 million to make that. Like it's relatable or you could understand the emotion. You miss a putt for... 300 grand or a hundred, a hundred percent, whatever. Yeah. So like, that's where I think the whole SMX thing and having that million dollars on the line. So like, let's play out and they f- royally fucked it on the broadcast, which sucked, but you've got Ken Roxon, Chase Sexton and Eli Tomac in the last race of a 31 race season, 
battling for $1 million. Chase Sexton is out front. If he doesn't crash, he wins $1 million. Bang, he crashes. Jet Lawrence is out front. Okay, if Ken Roxon passes Jet Lawrence, he wins $1 million. Yeah. If Jet wins this race, he wins $1 million. Yeah. And like that's the dream scenario. So you take that into a 30-second sports center chase sexton fucking brainsing himself <laughs> in sand <laughs> yeah, exactly you know like while leading just yeah. a, an explosion of sand jet almost kills him yeah roxon's coming up jet wins a million dollars 20 years old fucking drops an iconic photo like yeah bro tell me there's not a th- better so, 30 second piece of espn content that you could make I, I, there's not and it's not made yeah I know. so that's a problem yeah 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 that's a problem yeah i, I would agree I mean, I totally agree. I mean, even if you took the big time money and applied it to the 16 or 18 rounds of Supercross and it's at the end like that, um, you know, that's sports center worthy, you know, like even, but this SMX, you know, three round championship thing was pretty interesting, especially at the end. Like you said, they're fighting for all this money and it's the last moto. Yeah. So it couldn't have worked out any better for them. Oh, they nailed it. Yeah, they I think they nailed, nailed it. it. I think they nailed it. They need to refine a few things. Um, you know, in my mind, in in my mind, I, I didn't quite understand how the points, even mm-hmm. as an f- avid fan, <clears throat> how the points thing worked out for Jet, right? He didn't race one Supercross, and then he raced the Motocross, and so the points must have been similar to get him. Well, I think it's because, <clears throat> so the same way that, uh, like, Barsha didn't race all the outdoors. So, like, you've got to earn enough combined points, points to get into it. So, because Jet won every single moto. He made enough points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and I think, like, maybe... I think the points thing will definitely continue I liked to how re- it redefined. went single points, double points, triple yeah. points. That that yeah. that was cool. That was really cool, I thought. I think I love that as well. I wonder if there's a way to implement the full championship points into it, though. But I don't know, like, that's, yeah, it would be hard. I think that, I think that I, I think a good way to do it would be is shorten the Supercross series. Yeah. And, yeah, they have the same amount of rounds, but start the SMX part with, like, you know, let's let's start the uh, SMX part with, say, at round 12. Mm. And you go, like, you know, the SMX part now becomes eight. Yeah, so you're saying do, like, a 12-round Supercross series but, and outdoors then just keep racing and then super- do six or, or no, you could still race Supercross, keep going. Yeah, Make yeah. it 18 weekends, but start the SMX points before the end of the sort of series, you know, yeah, or yeah. kind of weird, I guess, maybe. You'd you'd, you'd have, like, five rounds of SMX yeah. outdoor, then five rounds or three rounds of SMX, so then it's a, it makes eight or whatever. So how about this, then? How about now that Feld and MX Sports are, working are, are together. hanging, then they're cool and everyone's chilling. <laughs> are they? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't know. They're cool enough, I yeah, think, cool to enough. do this. Yeah, yeah, cool enough. We've, it's worked. Yeah, like it worked. They, they the model's it. there. Yeah. Yeah. How about we go away from a Supercross season and a motocross season and we do Anaheim 1, Hangtown, San Diego Supercross, Colorado Outdoors, and how about we have a full season where they're changing like Like changing changing bikes changing setups i think it would change like because all right so all the same points all the same points and Mm. then you go to your smx Mm. and then you can take a couple rounds off like make it to where you don't have to race just make it to where (laughs) i've actually got a few ideas on this but you have a couple throwaway events or whatever well 
that you like say you're like kenny and you don't want to do outdoors right yeah, right right so you don't have to do every outdoors to be in the th- it's like four of the outdoors will uh, count as points for smx four supercrosses counters so like a dude like jeremy Mart, alex martin or whatever like yeah. he can't he's not the best supercross Super, guy but he right outdoor, but he's fucking man outdoors yeah, like yeah. the dude was in the top 10 when he retired yeah, from, right. because he didn't have so you get a guy that goes i don't want to race supercross so they got to show up and do four make maybe you make the night show whatever but instead of having an outdoors a supercross season because the the thing is and world supercross was cool for this right so the boys will fly to abu dhabi november 5th for the race they'll all get there a week before there's no practice track there's no testing that like you're done yeah once you get to the track you're done you got a long ass practice friday you didn't forget how to ride a bike in a week. Yeah, exactly. So do we really need to be fucking cycling Monday, no. riding Tuesday, riding, a cycling? A little good anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's have it to where, like, so imagine you got a race, A1, maybe you do two supercrosses, then you go to Hangtown, then you do Parlour, then you got three more supercrosses, then you got Washougal, you know, so you're sort of sprinkling it in. You, it's not going to be as routined of like the grind it's gonna switch it up for people like alden's got a formula that works and swanee's got a formula that works like that's so easy it's so repetitive and it's almost like i say he who grinds the most wins you know it's like that is that the best for our sport is that what gives people the the most out of their careers does is that the best for the fans so anyway i think that there's a way to where now that you're working together you're not competing series there's probably a really cool way so to where it's like in nascar does it indy does it they got ovals they got short track they got you know they got street circuits so i think but one of the problems is is that the sport just has such a weird dynamic of like who owns this bit what do they want out of it it's a three-way partnership that's a it's that's always the problem yes it's feld and it's mx sports and it's the teams the manufacturers manufacturers. that to me is weird and then then there's the riders so if you if you take Feldnet and MX Sports, let's just say, for instance, they were together, you still have a three-way yeah. thing, right? The teams, the manufacturers, the the promoters, and yeah. the riders. Yeah. <clears throat> That's why there's always been, it's always been a little bit tricky. The riders are tied to the manufacturers, and then the manufacturers are tied to whatever series is, whatever. Yeah. I think that having the mix Supercross and Motocross might be a little... Uh, you know, they used to do that in the back of the day, yeah, back in the day yeah. that we'd have, we'd go to Daytona. Then the next week we'd race Gainesville Supercross or Gainesville motocross. Yeah. You see, you'd race Gainesville. Then you go back to Supercross. What was that like? I, I thought it was fun mixing it up, but, but I don't think the team thought it was that fun. Cause you have to have Fuck a whole, the teams. yeah, I know you have to have, but, but now <laughs> look how much money it costs to switch bikes and the suspension is totally, everything's totally different. So now you have to have so pay double more. pay them more. You, you mean have Feld pay them all. Well, yeah, like let figure it out. You know? Yeah, I mean, you could do that. Yeah, I mean, anything is possible. Yeah, right. Um, but to your point, what got to start on this tangent is that Feld <laughs> is like they're open to change, some and ideas, yeah. and there is yeah, you yeah. know change kind of going. Yeah. Well, I think you know you, there's going to be some internal feelings about that, other because there's already a lot of races, and yeah. the teams are like, shit, how many races are we going to support here? Well, I think that's probably one of the <clears> things. I think that's another kind of like it would be a pretty drastic change but i wonder if you have say for like three or four of the outdoor rounds the 450s don't race and it's the 250s and the futures 
and like you make the futures almost like an mx3 class like a development class Mm -hmm. so then there's yeah i just i wonder though like and the obvious thing to say is well no one's gonna go because they're not watching the 450s but you're telling me that like people aren't gonna go to watch danger boy and shimoda and like all of these guys plus some other amazing talent but i feel like because the reason why they do 31 races like that's how they got the eight million dollars is because it was like a combined series they could sell 31 events to peacock well, I'll tell you exactly why they're doing 31 races is because it's a reaction to what that guy did with World Supercross. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the riders weren't in favor of riding no more, races. more races. They were like, like really? You got to race more races? It's great. They got paid p- big money. And especially the mid-pack guys that got those thirty dollars and $50,000 checks yeah. more than they made which all is year huge. long, which yeah. is great. Yeah. Um, but that's how it should be throughout the racing series. Yeah. It shouldn't take... I'm happy it happened, but it shouldn't have taken a reaction from what someone did that didn't even work out. It started to work out, but it didn't work out. And they, they, that was a reaction to what was going on. Now, what did that do? It got Feld and MX sports talking. It got them figuring out their stuff together. You know, it's always been like, Hey, we got our thing. You got your thing. Well, now they're working together a little bit. That's good for everybody. Um, you know, now you got to come up with some compromise that that still has those kind of purses yeah. that makes everyone pay attention. Hey, this guy wins this race. He's winning a million bucks and then, and then gets the schedule that's proper for yeah. the athlete. Yeah. Cause that right. You, 31 races, are a lot of races. Yeah. And you so. can talk to anyone, anyone that, and they'll say that like even, you know, well, yeah, literally everyone says it. That well, I mean, when I raced, much. we had 15 races, then we had 16 super crosses and then all, uh, you know, continually now recently in the last 10 over 10 or whatever years keep adding races and again it was due to having two world supercross races or whatever that was so they kept adding events and what they want is they don't want people going to race other races they want their guys racing their races and that's natural i get that so what they're as soon as someone else does something their reaction is well you're gonna go race over here well we'll put some more races yeah and so, and then, and they, they all, you know, the manufacturers are saying the same thing and that that's probably, that's probably what happened with Kenny Yeah. and Honda. Yeah. Right. I mean, again, we should have thought Kenny right off in the sunset at Honda. Dude, your, your career and his career in uh, terms of what he did, like he had to leave Honda <laughs> and then crazy. build his own Suzuki yeah. and he did pretty fucking good. Yeah, like it's, it's really actually good. insane. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty, pretty crazy how that works. But, but again, I think that was, you know, his, whatever happened with him was somewhat of the nature of that guy starting a world supercross series and going, Kenny, come race these races. We'll pay you a million bucks. And he'll yeah. be like, all right, I'm not, I can do it. And then, that's when all the turmoil started to happen, you know? And then that was the reaction of S to SMX to world supercross. So, you know, look, I, I'm a fan of these guys working together and doing all this stuff. It shouldn't take a guy from that's not even, that's why competition matters. Like literally it elevates everything. America is built on free market capitalism. Exactly. Like, and I think that's, I mean, not to start a massive conversation, but it's like, that was one of the problems is like, there was no competition for years. So you've got arena cross, not the same sport. You had one supercross series with no competition. That's why the pay is where it's at. Yeah. And it stayed so similar for so long Mm -hmm. because it's just like path of least resistance and feld that's one good thing about the wsx is Mm -hmm. that it's got one owner with one property 
that's their that's their horse in the race you know like feld has disney on ice it's got monster jam it's got like it's just it's a base you could literally say and i don't think it is the case but feld could keep supercross just so they keep stadium dates and stop other people getting in the stadiums like that you could go that deep into it you know but it's like you need competition america was built on competition a state by state america's built on competition totally you want it, california sucks right now go to a better state this state can change these laws so that it's a better fit and it's going to force these people to react right. anytime you have no competition in an ecosystem it's really fucking bad for the ecosystem totally bad yeah i agree so simple competition makes everything better yeah yeah i mean if you know this guy's winning. You want to do what that guy's doing. You want to go be better than him. And yeah. you know, that it's, that's what creates these, that creates greatness. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's the reaction and the buildup of SMX was great. I think their purse money was awesome. These guys yeah. are stoked. I think the formats were good too. Yeah, like the racing awesome. was, yeah, the racing yeah. was good. This is really cool. So how many races is ideal then? Like knowing what you know, like what's the ideal amount of supercross races and the ideal amount of motocross races to do? I mean, I think, you, you know, you're probably in the nature of 17 supercross and 12 outdoor. Yeah. 11 outdoor. Yeah. That's what 28 races seem like. That's about what I raced when I was racing 28 races. Yeah. And then it still gives a guy enough time if he wants to go race uh, Australian supercross or a European supercross or, you know, gives the privateers some time to go over there and do some of those races, make a little bit of money, allow them to come back and yeah. it gives the, it gives the top tier guys enough time to switch brands, test, get ready, train, get all. And it all happened again in January. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> pretty short window they have, like we always used to stop after labor day. Yeah. And so, you know, this now with the addition of SMX, it's, it's, going quite a bit longer um no it was on a second ago yeah, no maybe back on I hate, this is why I hate janky Technical. setup. I fucking hate it. The, in Australia, it's just so, like, just one button. Seamless. Everything works, yeah. Um, sorry, keep going. So, yeah, I think, um, I feel like, t you know, 28 races would be, yeah. what they do, 30-something this year? 31, I think, in the end, yeah. 31, so they, they added three or four. They have 18 Supercross, and, yeah. you know, I don't know. I think, um, yeah, 31's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> especially, you know, it's it's you know people think of like a lot of times people think of the athlete, the supercross athletes and, and motocross athletes as like, oh hey, you, you race on the weekends, cool, yeah, you no, know, thirty just... weekends a year. That this is a seven day a week job. Yeah, you know, and and there's a method to all this madness, and <clears throat> if you're behind in your fitness, it's hard to catch up. Yeah, you know, if you get and hurt, you have an injury, if you get hurt, it's hard yeah. to catch up. Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of factors that go into this thing. And, um, you know, I figure if you, you know, January to September sometime, even if it was mid September, that gives the rider the last you know, quarter to two and a half, two yeah. months to sort of, okay, decompress, go at it again. Um, you know, one of the things I think that's with the addition of all these races, 
it's really good for sort of my career record mm -hmm. <laughs> with Supercross because I think a lot of the riders now they race so much and they make the top guys make a lot of money. So even if you're a winning athlete, by the time you by the time they get to like their tenth season, like where I was at, they're not going to make it ten seasons. No, they don't want to make it ten seasons. No, they want to make it five or six seasons. Yeah, and for me and my record, that's a great thing, you know. So, um, they can do whatever they want. It just keeps my record safe, <laughs> yeah. really, for a while. But it, it is true, like, and <laughs> and I think that the reason why, let's say, Feld and MX Sports would want to keep races is because, like, obviously that's how you make more money. Like, they make money when they're As races, the right? Can, yeah. yeah. But when you're just churning dudes out of the sport at a at a higher rate, granted, yeah. we've kind of seen some dudes go a little bit longer. But it's like, it makes sense to keep Jet until he's 35 years old. So that's 15 years as a sport where you could build a star. Like, look how long Tom Brady's been around. Look how long Aaron Rodgers has been around. Like, the Michael Schumacher, Lewis Hamilton. Like, it's all a brand. They're all the Valentino names. Valentino Rossi. Valentino Rossi. You know, like, <clears throat> when you've got guys like a Villo, four crazy years, five crazy years. Yeah. Dips. Yep. Dunge, four crazy years, dips. Yep. Like, you're not getting 15 years with the superstars of the sport. They're not getting a chance to have a PR company work with them. They're not getting a chance to do yeah. all of these. Like, Dunge is on a Wheaties box, and then next year he's retired. You know? So, it's like, I think that that's where, you know, everyone in the sport should but probably have, like, a bit only, more longevity. You could only create more longevity if you had about half of the amount of races. Mm. I mean, how many races does Formula One have? 18 yeah 16 18 whatever yeah, yeah and you've got these if big a motocross guy and supercross guy raced 18 races a year he'd be like sweet yeah this is good well the crazy thing is like by even as the most hardcore fan like we do the supercross companions i don't know if you've seen like some we got the studio in australia big tv on the wall four of us get in there and we just watch the race yeah, yeah and yeah. film it basically it's yeah. the best shit of all time yeah <laughs> But it's like we do four of them and we're like, fuck, four weeks in a row, dude. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm yeah, over yeah. it, man. Imagine imagine the stuff it takes to be the rider. Dude. Yeah. yeah. It's but crazy. Even from a fan's perspective, like we're as hardcore as it gets. Like I literally, my job is to talk about the sport. Yeah, right. And I'm five rounds in, I'm just like, dude, I'm done. Yeah, like yeah, I'm yeah. planning to stay in America till about four races is done and then I'm dipping, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's like i think even for the sports it makes like the breaks between the gps and you know like in MotoGP and f1 and even in yeah. europe it kind of gives you a bit more time for everything to like percolate you know yeah i mean it'd be it's it's hard to say you know there's the the formula has been working supercross is pretty popular it's pretty big um then you look at you know formula one and you're like okay they race like every other week and then they take a two months, a month off, six weeks off. And then they go back at it again. Um, you know, maybe it's just a little harder because it's on the world stage. So they need, you know, they need time to create all yeah, this stuff up and go to yeah, different countries yeah. and all that. Same with MotoGP. Where in Supercross, you know, like you said, Feld has every date at every stadium locked up. They have Monster Truck this week, Supercross next week, Monster Truck, Supercross, boom, boom, boom. They yeah. got this thing. Um it's easy for a team to race Anaheim three weekends out of six. Yeah. Right. They're all right here. Let's Anaheim, San Diego, wherever else, right around here. Yeah. It's Phoenix four hours. Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. it's pretty doable. It just wears the athlete out, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know, you know, there's no real, the model seems to be working 
Yeah. The rider sometimes probably just, they have to be careful that they don't go too hard and get hurt, you know, yeah. which, which also kind of sucks, right? You want to get, you want to have every athlete, every rider give it their all every weekend because they just want to leave it all out on the table. Well, and it's like when you're out doing a run right now you, and you know, you have to do one hour of running. Yeah. So you, at, at 30 minutes, you're like, okay, I better back it off a little bit so I can make it to the hour mark or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's not <clears> and that's sprint. what the riders do. Yeah. Where, um, I, I think with the way the duration of the race is, it's too long. Mm. The main event's too long. They need to be, we used to have 20 laps, right? They want to get a 20 minute window and it's, I understand it's for yeah. TV, yeah. but they should be, um, an 18 minute race with a white, with a two lap board. Then, mm. then it will be 20 minutes, <clears throat> not 20 minutes plus two laps. Yeah. 20 minutes is 25 laps sometimes. Yeah. You know, and then, then basically at the end of the race, you're eliminating Roxon, uh, Cincerello, Barsha, Tom, Tomac just stands tall at the end because he can he's last. He's the only guy he's that, the can, only guy that yeah. can last that long. So as a fan, the model they're using for Supercross main events, I think is not right. It's too long. They need to, because the guy that knows he can't make it 20 minutes plus two laps, he won't ride his hardest even up to 10 laps. Yeah, because he needs to finish the race. Right. We yeah. want the best we can see of these guys. Yeah. So let's shorten it a little, make it 18 minutes plus a lap. Right. Everyone, I feel like everyone can race hard, hard, hard for 18 minutes. Yeah. You know, can they race hard for 22 minutes? Maybe not. It's yeah. like that we were talking about earlier. If, if we got the shortened model a little bit, we'd see a better race because everyone would be giving it their all for the whole time. Yeah. Where now they, some guys have to conserve a little bit and then they're going to back off. We're going to, we're going to miss some of those epic battles that we would see if, if the guy goes, man, I can almost make it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And, and so, I question sometimes the, the model of the main event, you know, yeah. in the modern era. Yeah. We were 20 laps, maybe 20 laps. wasn't right because 20 laps back when I was racing, it was about 20 minutes. Yeah. Two strokes yeah. are slower. Yeah. Tracks were yeah. steeper, tighter. Yeah. You know, it was almost 20 minutes. So you'd roughly between 18 and 19, 20 minutes, whatever. Yeah. Now you're, if you rode 20 laps on some of these tracks with the 450, it's 14 minutes. Yeah. We definitely need more than that. But we definitely don't need twenty-five lap race. Yeah, tracks destroyed. Yeah, the tracks. The two, yeah, the four the four fifties don't get a good track, so automatically the racings they can't go in between mm. the two fifty main events. A little bit long. Tracks trash. It's live TV, live TV. Yeah, they can't they can't fix, fix the track. Yeah, four fifties start out in a way. There's one line on the track. If you go out of that line, you're effed, right? <laughs> yeah. So the racing sucks sometimes on the softer tracks. Uh, and then the rate, then by the time 22 minutes is gone, you're at 25 or 26 laps. You're like, yeah, everyone's bored. They're just hanging on. Race is spread too. out. Yeah. You're done. They're hanging on just to finish the race. Yeah. So in my mind, we get a more of a 18 minute model and we do give them five minutes or whatever to get the tractors out and fix the track. Yeah. You're going to get a better race, grow the sport at more epic battles. Um, so those are some of the things I would like to say, see as a fan. And as someone that knows the sport, yeah, we're not seeing the athletes the best we can see because the race is too long. Yeah. And so. a lot of the dudes, a lot of the time are injured. And a lot of the injuries happen late, late, late in the race. Yeah. Cause they're just barely hanging on. 
they're, yeah. they're tired. They're exhausted. It's just crazy how gnarly our sport is. <clears throat> it is. So and the gnarly. level now is yeah. just insane. Like some of the stuff, when you're on the floor of a Supercross race now and you see dudes iron up like a big section, <laughs> like it's big now. Yeah. Like a well, big I section mean, nowadays a 450 is a can big jump section. Anything. <laughs> it's crazy. And that's the scary part. Yeah. Like uh, in our day, you were never worried about overjumping. You're always over worried about under jumping. Yeah. Now I think all the guys worry about over jumping. Yeah. Because that'll hurt you bad. Yeah, yeah. You jump into the transition of a next jump and it's not good. So yeah, it's different. There's different worries out there. But you know, the model, the sport seems healthy. A lot of things are good. I would like to see the model yep. tweaked just a little bit and yep. it'd be better for us. It'd be yep. better for the riders. Yeah. And it'd be healthier for the riders because they, you'd get the best rider every week. And you'd get a chance to build these brands over 10 15 years as a part totally to three and you know years. what i'd also like to see and i know it's live tv and whatever but i'd like to see the them bringing back the semis the because semi. the oh, semi yeah, yeah, qualifier races. yeah yeah because they have the main event or they have the heat races right now and they take nine guys <clears throat> well let's see fifth from ninth fifth to ninth they never get their face on tv they never get any if you want to build the health of the sport and the middle of the sport yes then you want you want the fifth place guy to win a semi I completely and build agree. up his name. Like, let's find like, out who that guy that is. That was like Nick Way back in the day. He made a living off that, and he was so good in those. And I got to be a Nick Way fan because, because of, of that. Because of that, you right? Know? Yeah, and, and I, we don't need an LCQ. I don't no, think because I, we don't need a place where you take a piss and get more beers. And like, it would be better to see. Let's say you take five from the the semi and there's no more lcq yeah. and then you know you're really getting to see a different better kind of you'd probably see adam cincerello win like every single semi semi and there'd be like an epic battle there every yeah yeah, yeah. then we'd have a eli we'd have a kenny we'd have a chase sexton we'd have an adam yeah you know now it'd give you more to race for in the heat too. totally yeah and i think i just think that they need to revisit the model a little bit that's kind of one of the things that i've been a little bit critical of in the last few years is the length of the race because not everyone can race that long. And then let's build up the middle of the sport. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. No, no, I completely agree. And I think it's worth anytime I go on my little rants and I start <laughs> carrying on like a dickhead. I love the sport. Supercross is amazing. Yeah. It's doing great. There was a fantastic year. Like there's so many positives, fantastic. but do we sit and chill on that or do we try and make shit even better? Yeah. I think we try and make I shit better. I think we do. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, we got we're almost three hours already. It goes so quick, eh? I, yeah, mean, I feel like flies. I haven't talked about shit. I know. Uh, so probably the thing that I would want to talk about the most would just be terra firma and steel roots. Yeah. Because I think that, like, so let's go all the way back to question one or, like, the theme one of this is just, like, you love this shit and it's so much fun. Oh, yeah. You would not have made those movies if you didn't just froth riding a dirt bike oh yeah riding a dirt bike and listening to music <clears throat> yeah absolutely and and uh the era of those movies like that were were just like I lightning mean, that, in a bottle lightning in a bottle totally and and the nature of that right what we did the fox videos the terra firma series and scrap just i mean this they just killed it we had so much fun doing that um and then we took it even further with the steel roots model. And then obviously you had the crusty model. Um, and then, then there was all kinds of people making movies, you know, um, moto triple X guys and Jordan and doing all th those guys doing all that stuff. And, um, 
Yeah, it was. I mean, that that was for me, that was a form of expression mm. that we weren't able to do when we're racing. Mm. Right. I that's was doing that anyway. Yeah, I was doing showtime. it anyway. That's yeah. showtime. Yeah, exactly. And so I was doing all that anyway. And that was, you know, when when um, Freeman and Dana Nicholson came along and created Krusty's and and, uh, you know, sort of opened that that little window of like, hey, maybe we should just document all the shit we're doing anyway. Yeah, because we're doing that. We were been do- shooting videos, not shooting videos, but going and riding like that for years um, when we're in the off season. Um, yeah, that those times were like we did a lot of growing up in those times, <laughs> and we we did. We just had a lot of fun. Uh, there was no pressure, and we were just loving our dirt bikes. Yeah, yeah, and it just it influenced the culture, and I think the that- parties. Oh, the party. We had a lot of good fun parties. Just the, like, we got very similar style partying too. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 We're not afraid of it. But I think that what you did for the culture, like what you did for the sport of supercross in the stadiums was so massive. But I think what you did for the culture of dirt biking with those movies was just as impactful. And it was like, I was just at Red Bull imagination, right? Oh yeah, I watched it uh, yesterday. That was Steel Roots. That was it was. You know, like what you did back then, and I mean, even that Suzuki, like that was some crazy free riding you did on that Suzuki. Yeah. You know, like yeah, you yeah. found some good shit yeah, in, that, yeah, yeah. in that time period. But yeah. the culture, like you know, I've got friends that are Formula One drivers, MotoGP riders. You know, like in NASCAR, they all fucking froth that shit. You know, yeah, like yeah, you yeah. just changed or like it, like it was lightning in a bottle and then you just changed the culture for so many people going forwards. Yeah. The thing about it is, is what feels so good about that and the history of that is we were just doing what we did. Yeah, yeah. That That's what was rad. It wasn't like, Hey, here's this crazy ass script. Here's this idea. Let's go do that. Change. Yeah. We were really just doing what we do and, and filming it, you know, where, um, you know, when, when, when the crusty guys came along and came in, they, they took the snowboard model, mm. right? They took the snowboarding model and applied it to dirt bikes is what, that's where the model came from. Right. Yeah. Um, we took sort of the racers vacation model yeah. and did it that way. And with our, the Halloween parties, the ride in the fifties, um, you know, riding all kinds of different bikes, speedway, flat track, like all kinds of shit that you'd never see us doing. Yeah. And then, you know, you have, you have the, you know, nightlife, the super fun nightlife with all the girls and all the costumes and all the crazy shit we did. Um, you know, th- those were, that's what I'm talking about. We just did a lot of growing up. Yeah. You know, we were all trying to figure out how to live yeah. as young adults. Yeah. And, uh, I think we had a hell of a good time. I mean, we had a hell of a good time and, and a lot, and a lot of people saw that on the video and that that's, that's the culture that was happening then. Yeah. Did you, when did you feel like, did being famous or like getting famous in that way ever feel weird or like did you ever have those kind of like stop and think about it moments because it is a pretty weird thing to get quote unquote famous because you're still the same person but it's like there's something different you know yeah fame affects the people people uh you know in a lot of different ways i mean i think uh i always say this you know I would be famous around a racetrack, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Around the nature of a racetrack. So if I'm around an atmosphere like, hey, we're in Anaheim, okay, you know everyone's yeah, around. Yeah, you're famous I'm there. famous in that town yeah, for that yeah, night. Yeah. But the beauty of what was going on with us is we were wearing helmets. 
Yeah. So if you weren't a super big fan, you might know my name. And even still today, people know my name. They don't know me. Yeah. And so I, I was, I'm thankful in a way that we were always wearing our helmets. And so now I can walk around and be, Tiger Woods can't walk around. No. You know, Michael Jordan can't walk around. I mean, those guys were famous, real famous, way much more famous than any of us. But they weren't wearing a helmet, so they weren't sort of protected. You know, their face was was out there. Yeah. Um, you know, and that that's kind of the sacrifice when you're when you're that guy and you're making that kind of money and your face is out there. I mean, there's it's like being Shaquille O'Neal or something. You know. Yeah. These guys are super famous. <clears throat> so I I'm I feel pretty normal until you get around a track. Yeah. Then it kind of is a little bit strange. You know, it's never been any weird, nothing weird to it. Yeah. It's been cool. I mean, I've been able to use it to my advantage, obviously. Um, it's ne- There's never really been any negative play but so, over it. And so, but that time though, when you were like filming everything and the parties and the girls and like that, like that's where I can imagine you would have felt famous. Like you would have felt like a, a rock star. It's maybe like, that's maybe a better way of saying it. It's like you were kind of a rock star. Yeah. And you can kind of like do and say and be and kind of... You can do and be and however you want to be as long as you're winning. You can be like, yeah. You can do whatever you want as long as you're winning. Yeah. But you remember, we didn't have any internet at yeah. that time. There was no like phone media. Like no one could take a picture you. of you doing shit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we had those crazy box cameras that you half the time you threw them away you never even developed any film but um i'm stoked we we grew up in that because yeah. we did some dumb shit right yeah. that, that people might not might not have looked like that was very cool or whatever i mean never meaning it never mean for sure i'm not mean by nature but you know look we again we were trying to grow up and trying to figure out how to be adults yeah and acting stupid as kids right with um, money with, with money and a little bit of fame and the yep. doors were open to do whatever you wanted to do, right? Yeah. And um, you were famous enough in like, the, I think to put myself in the time, like I remember when I first came here, 2010, and I'm like hanging out with Dean Wilson and Tommy Searle and Josh Hill and like those guys were like famous here in yeah. this town and like you right. built this scene to where like <laughs> a professional dirt bike rider, like chicks know who that yeah. is. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? No. Like that... Yeah, and that happened. Yeah. I mean, wherever we went. Like I said, I was very popular within the race crowd. Yeah. Yeah. But if I went somewhere where there was no race and no race happening and I was just somewhere, you'd get a couple guys like, oh, hey, what's up? You know, like, but they were the guys that were watching ESP or uh, Moto World 2 or whatever it was back in the day or somehow saw a race on something, you know. Like hardcore fans. Yeah, two in the morning on a Tuesday night or something, you know. Um so that was an advantage we had, right? So we could still, the parties and all the stuff you saw on video was long gone by the time it came out on video. Yeah, true. Right. right? You so didn't we care were that people back saw to it. being athletes and whatever, you know, those were, that was off season, you know, shenanigans really. And, uh, so that was good because we didn't get too crazy and it wasn't happening like live time all the time where you actually had to be the athlete. Yeah. Um, you know, people remember that stuff because it was so off the wall and unique, right? It wasn't normal to see us doing that stuff. So those are the things that people remembered. But we were we were finely tuned athletes. We were training hard and riding hard. So, but just not a lot, not scared to have fun. Yeah, so. and and was there the same <clears throat> perspective that like the teams and the factories had on that sort of stuff back then? Because nowadays it's such a like if a team found a out, no, you mean, oh, dude, like can you imagine? Is it? 
Well, or is it just because the guys don't do it? They just don't put the, they put that on themselves. Well, I mean, I know when the, probably the last I was probably around the last generation of dudes that partied, and yeah, the teams fucking hated it like big time. You know, I don't. Again, if well, if, if you're winning, if you're winning, you can do whatever <laughs> yeah. the f you want. You breeze through your whole career purely based on. I like, came away unscathed. Yeah, because you just I was won winning. everything. Yeah, and just, like you didn't have to play head games with no one because you were the man. Yeah, like, even when you watch like a you watch Steel Roots or you watch Terra Firma, like yeah. you're out there with guys and you just better than them at dirt bikes yeah, yeah in yeah. like every yeah. single scenario so it's like you <laughs> yeah. go riding the hills you're the winner you yeah, go yeah, to yeah. Anaheim one you're the winner you yeah. go to the party you're the winner like <laughs> yeah. you just got to kind of it, be it, that it guy it was just smooth sailing <laughs> and as long as the doing whatever it was was not affecting my race results then it they know i could just continue to do it and they're like He's well, doing, then you like kind of own the thing. teams too, in a way. Like when you were in the Steel Roots yeah. era and you were on totally. Yamaha, like you yeah. were kind of the boss there as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, it was wild. I mean, even for my status in Supercross, it was wild. The, the people that would come to Supercrosses, a lot, Lee, because my publicist. Yeah. Like Tommy Lee was coming around with Pam Anderson. Then there was like, you know, uh, the the girls that were in Charlie's angels with us. Right. It was, uh, <laughs> is that how Carrie met pink? No. Did they meet through? Oh, he might've been on the music video. I think. Remember there was like they the Charlie's an- angels for the film. Yeah. I was and in then that. she, we, yeah. She so, wasn't in that though. She wasn't right. Why is there some, there's like a song coming to my mind where she hmm. was like in it. Maybe she was, I'm, she was, maybe I'm tripping. I think um, X Games had a party, uh, and it was the X Games connection. Uh, he was freestyling, and she was coming up, and then they had a venue, and she might have played. Yeah, okay. And it was kind of... Do you remember, like, MTV Sports? Remember nah, that? Nah. Oh. So that was really cool, because MTV Sports was, like, a basically an X Games thing with music and the whole thing. Oh, and like a festival kind of deal. Festival yeah, kind of thing, yeah. and that's how a lot of people met up at that time. Huh. Um, it wasn't a racing thing. Um, I I don't know exactly how Carrie and yeah, and yeah. her met, but um, but so they were coming to the race like that kind of yeah, level I mean, there was, was just coming like, to the races. Yeah, like Vince Vaughn was coming around, and um, you know, uh, gosh, what's the guy's name? He has his own radio show on satellite right now. It's in anyway. Um, but that kind of interest was yeah, there. music was there. Actors yeah. were there. Actresses were coming around and hanging around, and they were all coming to see Supercross. Yeah. And so, you know, they, <laughs> they would all come to my truck. Right. So I got to see them all, meet them all. And it was really a cool time, yeah. but that was when Supercross was, you know, really, on it was the come really, up. yeah, it was on the come up big time. It was big. Yeah. And, and, uh, just, a, it was just a kind of a, cause I'm, you know, when you see someone way famous comes around, you're like, Whoa, that's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. You know, it makes you realize, oh, you're not really that famous. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Big actor comes along. You're like, oh, okay. I've seen that dude in about 10 movies. Yeah. You know, so um, <clears throat> just makes you realize like, oh, hey, there's a whole nother world out there. Well, I think, I think that's cool the way that you navigated that shit though. Cause you know, and then I think there's a few ways that it's kind of cool. You've navigated stuff like with how good your career was and with how everything went down, like a, you could have just been like the biggest dick that could have just like never let go yeah. of it. But also, I mean, 
the opportunity for you to go so off the rails in that period of time with everything going on yeah it was like, it the opportunities were there but yeah. i was you know my upbringing with my parent my mom and dad were were i mean they're amazing because they just helped me rein that all in you know yeah um and you know there's there was one thing on my mind when i started to get success it was just get more success yeah you know win more races yeah. all i want to do is win and if i could win the rest would take care of itself yeah and that's what i always thought of when i was chasing points or any of that stuff is just win tonight it'll take care of the take care of itself win next saturday night and and our our sport by nature is crazy right because you're only as good as your last race yeah when it all starts to crumble and fold up you don't have a lot to draw on because there's a winner there's a winner that night that someone won yeah. someone won if it wasn't <laughs> yeah. you yeah so you know it's like I don't know how many times, like I went through what three generations of guys when I was racing. Cause my career spanned 12 years, pretty much on pro tour. Um, you know, in that, in that group, there's, there's like three generations, four or five years a piece. Yeah. Right. I was lucky to race a long time, but, uh, you know, you're only, you know, it was like, if I didn't win, it's like, Oh, that guy's the next guy. Yeah. And then I'm like, Nope, fuck that. I'm still the guy. <laughs> yeah. And then another guy would come on. Oh, he's the guy. I'm like, Nope screw that i'm the guy yeah and so that happened three different times so that that was like really good motivation for me yeah you know and i use that thought process of like hey dude you're you better win because someone else is going to win yeah. if you don't yeah and so that you know i just kind of always tried to think of myself as the underdog yeah even though i wasn't yeah i just tried to keep my mind in the underdog thought yeah and uh that, that that's a question i get a lot right because what did you, what motivated you during that time to still want to drive to win? Yeah. And it really was just the thought of people saying I couldn't win and pe people saying my time was up people saying this guy's the next guy, you know, and I always use these little nuggets along the way of as my motivation. And I always try to keep my train of thought as being the underdog mm. and you know, it, it worked. I mean, I think for the most part it worked. I, the, with the exception of the night that Jeff beat me to beat the streak in St. Louis, you know, that day, if I could replay that day, I would have won that night. No problem. Mm. I, I, during that day I was Feld had me upstairs doing autographs in the middle of the show after my heat race. And then, you know, I was just totally distracted that night <clears throat> from trying to race and win the race. And, uh, I still almost won the race, but I just, I, probably just took it for granted a little bit too much i mean i was at my 13th win i was probably thinking okay i'm just gonna win again you know and you know sometimes you get a little complacent and then that, that's i needed that little smack in the face to go okay yeah you are beatable yeah get your ass in gear here and the next week i went and won again but but you know it took a while to get to that point because i felt like you know i had this easy going yeah and then it, you know it, it, and I got beat, but I, I think when you get beat, it just smacks you in the face a little bit and you go, okay, yeah. Regroup. Got to get my shit together here and, and go. That was very disappointing. Just like, well, that's as close as anyone will probably ever get to a perfect season in Supercross. Yeah. Just to have that one shitty night close, in St. Yeah. Louis. And it was pretty, yeah. <clears throat> and if you go watch the race, I watch it every now and again. It's pretty funny. Like LaRocco knocks me off the track albertine blocks me like i i had all kinds of and then the track by nature that night jeff was at his home race 
that's our hometown race. So, you know, you get super energy when you got your hometown race. Um, and then the track by nature was super soft and ruddy. My worst condition. Yeah. And I got a bad start, which didn't usually happen, but for whatever reason, um, <laughs> I was just coming up through the pack, get knocked off the track. You know, the Rocco hit me twice. Albert is, is I still, still to get that close, even to him, I was pretty surprised really, to be honest. So, um, yeah, but it, it, it sort of reset the boundaries for me and got yeah. me going again. You yeah. Know? Yeah, everything. I guess everything happens for a reason Absolutely. when it comes to that stuff yeah. too, though. You know, like. Yeah. But I always like to say that's the night I made Emig famous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how was that rivalry with with him? Like, because even to say, you know, like he kind of came in and was like the first out of town dude to kind of like jump in in the mix. Like, he was such a a character, like an almost an anti hero in a way. And the fact that he was so good outdoors, like it just, I don't know, he just seemed like a, a bit of a, a bit of an anti-hero to your story. Not that he's not a great dude. Yeah, but. no, I mean, look, you need the good guy. You need the bad guy, right? I mean, Emmick played the bad guy. He was, you know, he was a party boy on shift and, um, you know, to me, you know, we get along fine now. It's totally fine. But, um, you know, all those years he was really arrogant. I thought really cocky. And I freaking hated that. I'm like, no way, dude. I can't stand that someone doesn't give me respect. You know, not that I command respect, but don't don't disrespect, you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, I was just I was just had this thing because you know, one of the main things that I didn't get along with him over is his riding. Um <clears throat> he he was really ruthless on the track, like riding wise. So he would do dangerous shit like chop you off on the lips of the jumps and his riding etiquette was a little suspect uh, to say the least. And so that's the part I really was mostly angry about. But then, um, <clears throat> I, I never really felt threatened by him and the racing part of it. Um, I always felt like I had a pretty good handle on that, but you know, again, that year, the year he beat me was, was when I switched to Suzuki, we had all kinds of problems. Um, but you know, his style, like I was confident and, and push the limits on being cocky and whatever. But I think he was just always kind of sort of by nature, really arrogant. And I just, I don't know. I didn't have any patience for that at the time. Obviously we all grow up. Yeah. We all, we were kids trying to figure our way, find it, find a way through this whole navigate this whole famous sort of moto career. Yeah. Um, so, you know, look, we're all old, old guys now and you can look back and laugh at all that stuff, but you know, things that bothered you then, have no place in your head for now. Yeah, yeah, you know what so, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's funny how it all worked out. And, 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 uh, you know, we, we came to, we actually came to blows a couple times. Really? Mechanics had to break us up, but, um, you know, it all created a good scene for moto. You know, oh, if I didn't sure. have him, I wouldn't be striving to be better. Well, and I think right? too, like the times that you won outdoor races, like it feels like that would have probably felt so special. Because it did. It did. And it was because of him. Yeah. He propelled me to be better outdoors because that was when people were talking like, oh, you can't beat this guy. And, and, uh, he was, he's a phenomenal rider. I mean, yeah. he killed it outdoors and he made me a better rider. Yeah. And you, absolutely. you need those guys. Otherwise, absolutely. you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, he's, he made me get it in gear. Cause I couldn't stand losing to him. Yeah. Right. So I was like, no way I'm going to figure this out. And so, um, you know, and there was plenty of fast guys outdoors, but he was the guy winning. So I was like, how do I take down that guy? Yeah. And I finally figured it out and I'm, I'm stoked about that. And when I won the outdoor title 
and then almost won the next year's title, which yeah. he he got me because I hurt myself. <clears throat> but, was it I mean, foot or something? Yeah, I I, yeah. I tried to jump at Millville that I should have never tried and cased it. And my foot wrapped under my foot peg and really destroyed all the ligaments in my yeah. foot. So I was kind of injured the rest of that year. But up to that point, I had won like six of the eight weekends already, and it was killing it. But um, life has a way of smacking you down when you get too little, a little too confident, right? Yeah. So. Um, <clears throat> And that's when he won the championship in the final round, final race, final moto at Steel City that year. Um, and he rode his ass off, killed killed it. Um, but uh, in 95, when I won the title, even out of all my Supercross races and winnings and championships, that title has a lot of, I mean, that, that has a lot of significance for me because it was so hard. Yeah. And to finally achieve that, I was just like, all right, now I know what everyone's talking about being good yeah. at this, you know, and it, it really made me feel accomplished. Yeah. <clears throat> because there's many times when you get done racing a motocross race and you're in the backseat of the rental car, just folded over because your gut hurts so bad from all the bumps. And, yeah. and I mean, it, it just takes a toll. And where Supercross was like, that's easy. It's super <laughs> yeah. easy. Yeah. Outdoor was hard. Yeah. And so uh, that's why that, that for me, the meaning of those, that championship and that win those wins all those those two seasons yeah pretty darn amazing I, that i'm really stoked about and then like my win at motocross of nations in 96 a big outdoor race same thing where was that it was at jerez the moto gp track oh they no built the moto shit. track up around on the yeah. mountainside in there yeah <sighs> so the moto track was within the moto gp track that would have been mental it was sick super sick and it was a fresh track. It wasn't a European track. It was all brand new. Yeah, yeah. Big downhill jump, like 120 footer. Like really, it was sick. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, those, those outdoor wins are special because they just didn't come easy. Yeah. yeah. I remember as a, when I read the your book for the first time that that kind of 94, 95 outdoors, that was probably the most gripping part of that book because like you know, I wasn't obviously around yeah, like, yeah, that for much sure. for, you know, following the races. Then. Right. So I was kind of like reading along like yeah. through those seasons. And yeah. it was cool to see that that was so hard for you to win those races. Yeah. I didn't commit myself. Like I told you, I was yeah. pretty lazy. Right. So I didn't really commit myself. And that's where <clears throat> Gary Simics came in and came in really big time at that time because he's just like, you know, hey, what are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to be a man and get it done here. This is how we're going to do it. Here's the combination. Let's do it. And so, um, you know, it, it just sort of got my attention just the way I had to retrain the way I was thinking about it. Mm. And, uh, like you said earlier, when, when you, when you start to feel the, the, the all that, the effects of all that work and it starts to happen, yeah. then all of a sudden you've made something big. Yeah. And, um, that's what I felt. And, 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 Honestly, as cool as Supercross felt and me winning Supercross titles, when I won them both, I was like, oh, yeah. I'm the man. I'm the man now. I got it now. <laughs> yeah. I got it now. I can officially say I'm the man now. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, and the same thing with that Motocross of Nations. It, it happened at the same time. It's not often you can say you're the best in the world on that one day. Yeah. And I was the best in the world for one day. And and uh, that's something I'll cherish, you know, forever. So how did that 
that event break down then like who was on the team who would who were you racing against like how was your results that day because it, it's so hard to get motocross nations right like look at fever on the weekend the man in moto one struggles in uh, moto two jet six in moto one wins moto two like it's very hard to win the motocross nations. so there's a lot of history on that 186 motocross nations team with johnny o bailey johnson yeah magoo i think it was maybe. yeah it was either Magoo or Donnie Hanson, one of those guys. Um, we all won our classes. I went 1-1. Lampson went 1-1. Wow. And then uh, Emig was on the team, too. He rode the 500. So we all won our classes. That's so heavy. So we, we all went 1-1. So arguably, it's the one of the best result teams in the history of the Marcos of Nations for U.S. Um, so we all had, like, phenomenal phenomenal races like we won we all won so it was emig and lamson and me so yeah it was lamson on the 125 emig on the kx 500 and who were the top euro guys then uh, i think it was like marnique bervotes um uh, everts was there yeah uh you know like for france it would have been like fred bolet tom uh you know sean maybe or was that a bit later a little bit little bit later, later yeah. yeah a little bit later um yeah i I don't exactly know. Maybe, maybe it was, it was Fred Bollet and Fred Vial, Tom's, yeah, Tom's okay. dad. Yeah. Um, I can't remember now, but um, we all had really. It was Lampson and I on Hondas, and we 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 crushed it. It was cool, and he rode especially well because he won one of the motos, I think, outright on a one twenty five. That's so sick. With a, one of the open and one two five motos, he yeah. won that outright on a one two five against five hundred against five hundreds. How so, crazy! Pretty is that? cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that, that race is one of my favorites in, in my history, you know, my history of stuff. Yeah. And cause it's, it's unique too to win for a team, you know, especially like you, you don't There's even really a, that, like that, that, race, that much and you're like teammates with the dude. Yeah. I mean that race, the camaraderie is felt, you felt, you know, there's, it's unlike any other race that I ever raced. I raced it twice, once in 93 where I was the total weak link. We barely won and and then in 96 where so you've we, only where been on winning teams, you motherfucker <laughs> the other times i didn't go because i turned it down i wasn't ready like, or these i guys didn't want to go. gonna lose i'm not gonna yeah, I'm going yeah to I'm lose. Like, nope so uh, that's funny but i mean in 93 when i went i was definitely the weak link i was a supercross champ but i was sucking i still sucked in the outdoors so it was pretty crazy that u.s team chose me it was because of my popularity obviously mm. um it certainly wasn't because of my speed and my skill on outdoors. And then we raced that full on Euro track where I was like, horrible. I think the best moto I had was like a ninth. No shit. Yeah. So I we get squeaked by on that one. <laughs> so, and that was during the streak where we had like 13 or oh, something in a row. Dude, imagine if you were the Yeah, guy. I almost lost it. Dude. I almost <laughs> lost it. We barely squeaked by. So. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Are you, uh, are you doing well vets this year? It's coming up. Yeah. Come do it, bro. Yeah. I've been training all year for it. You, you, you coming to race? I'm doing it. Nice. All, literally all year. I've been so training. I built up the 125. I raced at Mammoth. You yeah. saw that. Yeah. They're doing the 125 I know. race, I think. Yeah, I know. Well, it's, it's called done. the Pasha race. Yeah, done. And You're I in. built my bike just for that race. I think I'm coming. For, oh, I think sick. I'm coming. So I've got... You remember the track last year, though? No, it, I wasn't here last oh, year for it. Oh, good thing. It was the worst Glen Helen I've ever seen in my life. Really? It rained a lot the week before. Yeah. The whole track was ruts. Oh, I hated it. Really? I mean, I couldn't, I was like, this is not why I ride dirt bikes. This is not my vibe. Yeah, no. So uh, I I was just like, I'd get out and start riding and 
start riding pretty well. And then I was like, I got to slow down. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, someone's yeah. getting an idea. Yeah, exactly. So well, I got, um, I got all, uh, I got my brother who's <clears throat> way better than me. Uh, my, one of my best mates, Azza, he's, he won it in 2017. Oh, really? He, he nice. came over and won like the 40 expert class or whatever. Oh, sweet. And then one of my mates, Sawley, who these are all just boys I grew up racing with, but he did his shoulder, uh, at the start of the year. So, we're trying to convince him just to come just and say back. fuck it and just to come and ride. Uh, but like my dad's coming over to mechanic. One of our mates, Franco, he's uh, Jack Miller's, like basically Jack Miller's like home mechanic. He builds Moto all guy. his bikes, yeah. the road, flat oh, track, everything. Oh, okay, all that. So Franco, he started his own business, Franco's Race <laughs> Shop. So mm. we're all like trying to pump up his his, his, new, little brand. his new deal. That's so right. yeah, he's coming over and... Uh, and yeah my family like everyone so we're oh, just gonna rent scary. a big house in murrieta kurt nichols we're getting bikes off kurt all oh, right and uh yeah we're just fully having Doing a, crack. a big old yeah big old like family what? reunion yeah at the motor track yeah so but i've been training all year for it because we decided probably towards the end of last year that we'd all do it and uh it's just been the sickest thing like i've never been fit for a dirt bike race and i've done like i think in order to like in order to get it. fit you need a goal yes so yes. this is the accumulation of your all your work's going to be put into this race yeah. so like i did that for mammoth i did about a six seven week training yeah, program okay. for mammoth yeah and then since mammoth i really haven't done shit so but <laughs> i know world vets coming up and i had a pretty good base going into mammoth so i'm like i need to pick start picking it back up yeah to get ready for world vets we got about what four weeks a month yeah yeah four weeks yeah. so i'll be at the tracks i've been grinding but right. it's crazy the the feeling like i so but it's it's kind of i had a pretty shitty year in a sense but also a really good year like i think i'm at i'm at nearly 70 20 minute motos for the year like i just Dude, every that's time awesome every time i went to the track bro i just did a 20 20s. minute motor. and 20s. at the start of the year i just couldn't even do it but i was like a by the by the end of my f like first 20 minute mode of the year yeah. i mean i was getting like looking down at my watch at eight minutes and being like are you fucking serious right now like so now you can probably do more than one? Oh, dude i go to parlor and did dude, i did four 20s on the on the on the weekend yeah on the vet track the oh, other day nice. just like bang 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 i'd do like three at Perfect. glen helen yeah. but that point you said of like that accumulation there was just one day where it all felt like it clicked and yeah. like right started riding better like even and like my wife she's been filming me so i can like try and check, check get the technique style, a little sure, bit better yeah, yeah. and like but it all kind of came together and now even just riding slower like you're in the better position you're in yeah. you know so putting in as that time and then it sort of feels like it all just clicks you know and like i think you can see that with like a hunter he's had all those years of injury and kind of like just it didn't have the compounding time yeah, and then all, it's like yeah. that one year everyone's like what the, where did this come from like Where's now it looks been? like this is uh, dude's unbeatable but it's like things take so much time to actually mature but it's not a secret no there's no secret i mean there's it's, you just got to go do it right you just got to put the time in yeah and you know i can sit here and say like okay I did my little six week program, but that's just me trying to get used to my bike again, really. Yeah, right? yeah. Putting a little training in just so when I go out there, I don't feel like a dummy. What training do you like doing? Um, well, I'm naturally like genetically my, I'm on the bigger side, right? So it's easy for me to gain weight. I've 
all I do is, you know, when I eat, I just gain weight. So, um, I like just being like bike riding bike. I'm plenty strong. I just need to work on my cardio yeah. and then seat time. Yeah. Right. So I just try to do cardio and seat time, a little bit of weights here and there. Um, obviously when I was, had a racing career and stuff, um, I can mix it all up and then I was, didn't have to worry about it cause I was so active all the time. I didn't have to worry. Yeah. <clears throat> but now, um, when I go like, okay, if I'm going to race world vet, I'm going to try to ride like moto once or twice a week and cycle once or twice a week. Yeah. Cause you need to rest too. Yeah. So that's really what I do. Yeah. But it's the, just kind of a little compact training thing. Yeah. It's good to have a goal, you know? No, oh, man, it's been, it's been awesome. And it's kept me, it's, it's made my year so weird though. Like, so I, I like used to, well, I still do martial arts stuff. So I do, I used to do a lot more competitions with that shit. Right. But I was just a fucking psycho. Like yeah. I had to kind of like chill it down. Oh, a bit you were because, just going crazy on that? Well, it's too, it's gnarly when, at least in motocross race, you do a start, there's 40 guys, like who cares? Yeah. You, like I'm not a winner at motocross. <laughs> so, so like to me, no one's looking <laughs> but at when me. when you're one-on-one. But when it's one-on-one, it's like you either win or you lose. Like, right. and if you lose in motocross, no one's really looking at you. You got lapped, you're just pulling off the track. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It, that's the worst way to fucking lose anything. So I'm like, I don't really care about winning. I just really- Don't want to lose. Really hated losing. So I would just be like air training twice a day, like just absolute psycho yeah so yeah. it's kind of been the same for this but it's not as much because i kind of don't care as much like my only goal is i want to be fit enough to, to race every motors. moto and like go hard for me yep. and if i get 17th but i sent it for the six like i'm pumped if right? you can feel good and you've pushed hard for whatever your speed is yeah. the whole time, then that your goal that's is accomplished. That's my win. Yeah, that's yeah. me winning. Exactly. Like if I can see the last lap board and then go, fuck, let's go. Like I want to get that yeah. one more guy. Yeah. That's a win. Yep. But so it's funny, like that same kind of psycho energy manifested in this. Like we, we moved to Dubai at the start of the year. So Yeah, we, I remember because that's when we were talking about doing we, this yeah, and you, you yeah. split for a little while. Yeah, so we were over there for like the first five months of the year. And I'm like, right, I buy a 450. Like, so I bought this gas gas 450 with like a kit suspension. Yeah, the tracks are so sick. Like, I I basically they have real like they have practice tracks and stuff there. Oh, bro! Like, so this is the setup. I bought this bike. I was I had a Hertz rental car for like four months. Like, I didn't get a car. Bought a bike instead. Oh, and shit. I was driving to the track in like a Hyundai XL. Yeah. So the setup, I basically had like this rental car. Bought this 450. They've got it's called MX Ride Dubai and it's just dude sand dunes like there's a freeway uh-huh. that goes between like Abu Dhabi and Dubai and then there's just this huge like sand dune and they've built the best track there they've got like a kitchen they got bunks they so got, it's just a sand track yeah huge sand track in the dude. dunes yeah and the average speed is like 65 k's an hour so and you're like a high speed like just up dunes just, yeah around just big whooped out the whole oh, really dude it's so much fun so yeah i basically bought this bike there never really rode sand and i um never really rode sand at all and i sucked so bad <laughs> and i so i like but you got to figure it out after five months i'm sure yeah yeah like i just and i went out every time stopped watching the handlebars 20 minutes and i had the first couple of weeks i had some huge crashes just from literally forgetting where the track was Oh, like wow. I'd think it turned right. Like you come up over a sand dune, you're like, okay, this is the one that goes right, and then you just turn, jump in the, the air, wrong way. and then you just land sideways in sand whips. Oh. 
So, but it's been really cool to have that goal at the end of the year and know, like, especially when you talk about on the podcast and everyone's listening, you're like, oh, I'm going. Yeah. Did you bring that bike home here? No, like, it's still there. Oh, it's still there. So I literally just left it. They've got a workshop there. Oh. So I didn't even have a truck, nothing. I got the bike. I got it sent there. And the bike had just stayed there the entire time. I just right. put a sand tire on it and just rode it. And like every day you tell them you're going to ride and they, you got fuel there and they like do your air filter. The whole, it's a sick setup. Wow. That's pretty cool. But yeah, just every, every, everywhere I went and then I got here and uh, then I went back to Australia for a couple months. was just riding whatever I could there and then came here and like I borrowed a friend's XCF 350 KTM trail bike and mm. I took the suspension off and I got like good suspension so it's just been this constant thing all year of like trying, trying to, to find ch- what to ride just trying to get to Glen Helen you know like just oh trying yeah, to yeah. Oh, t- oh trying to get to the world that yeah yeah, yeah yeah just like whatever happens and like every time I go out I'm doing 20 minutes and I've kind of stopped that now like now I'm trying to actually work on my speed a little bit oh yeah, yeah. I was sort of just going a bit too slow but um yeah like it's been a it's been a cool that's, thing to, that's pretty cool yeah so that's i'm stoked really cool. i'm stoked you're racing it yeah yeah last year i went and i was not ready for it i heard that last year was a bit of a struggle it was a struggle struggle <laughs> bus for me yeah i raced 125 and i'd get to the lead and then that bike would would just overheat and so i got passed and, and then on 450 i was <clears throat> in the lead and the track was just so gnarly i'd get arm pump and I was like, dude, I'm not going to kill myself. Yeah, for, so I just drop out, time. slow down. I'm like, forget about it. And then right after that is when I go, you know what? I'm going to race Mammoth. And I'm, <laughs> I'm going to get, get my ass in shape here because <laughs> yeah. this is ridiculous. Yeah. So this year I'm in, a, I'm in a lot better space than I was last year. So what could your riding schedule look like between here and there? Because, I mean, I'm in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, I'm home mostly most of the week and weekends. But I like going to Cahia Creek on Wednesdays is what okay. I like going. Yeah. That's I, like my favorite track around here. Yeah. I rode there for the first time last week, actually. Did you like it? Yeah. It was, I, I don't know. It was Did weird. you ride the vet track or the pro track? The pro track. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. There was, uh, I wasn't really, I was doing the testing for Kiefer. Oh, So okay. I was like riding his bikes. I didn't get much t- time is to learn Is he not riding? It. No, he did like a 250 versus 350. I'm a big 350 dude. It's yeah, like yeah, Church yeah. of 350, yeah. you know? So, uh he wanted me to do like a lap time shootout. There was like a few of his buddies. Mm. So I was like a, a second passer on the 350, but I like kind of didn't really, I got to learn the track a bit. Then I had to do two fast laps on oh, two different oh, parts. So yeah, yeah. it was just kind of like a bit of so a weird day. you didn't day. get to like really have your own time on it. And it was windy and like <laughs> the fucking shittest dunk right there. It was just, I don't know. It was just, oh, like, it was just, <laughs> it was just a weird day. For, you know, one of those Camp, weird days. You parked you right by the shitter? <laughs> no, I did that myself. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. So yeah. it was just, you know, one of those days I was like, oh, I didn't really nail this. The wind was going the wrong way on that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's yeah. Fine. Well, so, it is a fun track, but I'll, I'll ride wherever. I I should probably ride Glen Helen. It's probably Thursday. Tuesdays or Thursdays or whatever, right? Is I'm, it Thursdays? Yeah, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Oh. If you're real keen. Yeah, I'll, I'll we'll we'll figure it out. It'd be be pretty uh pretty sick. Well, hey, we uh we did over three hours. We could do a lot more. There's so we much. better go for round two. Oh done yeah, yeah whenever whenever you want to do it because there's a lot more that we didn't go into um yeah but yeah i appreciate it, man i'd love that yeah you're the best dude to ever ride supercross and you're just chill down to earth down to party down to ride mammoth yeah i can I, swing a golf club real good yeah like, i think it's you a know, cool motherfucker think, uh, stoked i appreciate appreciate you having me on making time for that it's cool i was always wanted to come up here um you know i think the funny thing is you know, with all that stuff going on along the way and, and becoming sort of famous, all I ever wanted to be was normal. Yeah. You know, 
And I just, again, it all just leads to riding my dirt bike. And I'm still stoked to, to be able to do what I do in the sport, have the partnerships that I do. I love doing stuff with Kawasaki. We do so many fun, fun things as a family and as a Kawasaki family. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, so it's, it's been fun. I do a lot of stuff with a lot of people and, and, uh, mostly it all re- revolves around dirt bikes. So nah. I'm lucky. I appreciate you coming yep, on, man. Yep. So, yeah, it's super cool. See you at the track. I'll see you at World Vet. Done. <laughs> <laughs>